For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast. There's an awful lot from the courts this morning. There's a story that for many people have been keeping an eye on, which uh, came to a conclusion yesterday, makes many of the front pages today. They call him an evil cop who carried out a campaign of vile coercive control over his terminally ill partner, she had cancer. As a Dublin-based guard called Paul Moody controlled his victim for, victim for, uh, for four years, was jailed yesterday. Now, uh, the evidence before the court over the past weeks was just absolutely harrowing. And the judge was having none of it. He said, uh, the judge, Martin Nolan, said he carried out a catalogue of vile and humiliating criminal misbehaviour towards the 43-year-old victim. In her own impact statement, uh, she said that He once told her that the only reason he'd visit her in hospital was to watch her bleed to death. Uh, She said, I wasn't just fighting cancer. I was up against a monster who would take away any chance I had of surviving, if possible. In a four-year period, he sent her more than 30,000 messages, believe it or not, described in court as threatening, vile and abusive. I don't have time, um, and they're rather upsetting many of the messages to go through them, uh, this morning, or right now anyway, but in one 14-hour period in 2018, he sent her 652 messages, amounting to one message every 90 seconds. He would threaten to stick a knife in her in one voice message. He'd take secret photographs of her without her clothing on and uh, threaten to post them online. I mean, it was horrific. That's just one or two um, examples of, of the horrid things he did and the harassment he put her through. Um He got three years uh, and three months before the courts uh, yesterday. The case came to a conclusion. Uh, He carried out a catalogue of violent, humiliating criminal behaviour and his behaviour was on the highest end of the offence. There are those saying in the papers also this morning, uh, including the Justice Minister, the fact that he was a Garda made it even more reprehensible. There are sweeping changes proposed uh, for court hearings when it comes to rape and sexual assault. Um, and this is in its very early stages now. Uh, there, what's going through cam- Cabinet at the moment is the Sexual Offences and Human Trafficking Bill. And I hope to come back to this a, a little later on this morning. Uh, but one of the things th- is the issue of consent. Um, uh, and, and that's going to change. It's going to be very much tightened up and improved. Not just that, though, but th- like, for instance, the public will be kept out of courtrooms for all sexual offences trials under a series of sweeping reforms. Um, and it'll be an awful lot easier, they say, because the changes they're going to make for a jury to test whether an accused person honestly believed they had consent. Uh, and it'll rule out any defence that the that a perpetrator was intoxicated at the time. So I think they're modernising it, really, and just bringing it up to date in the society that we live in now. Like a man's defence to a rape charge that he honestly believed he had a woman's consent will no longer be simply taken at face value. You'll have to go an awful lot further in your defence using the term of consent. And also, it's interesting, the accused will be given anonymity in case they're found not guilty of the offence. That's good. I mean, that really is good. That's a good change too. If they're convicted, they may be identified, unless to do so would lead to the identification of the victim. So that's uh, there's some of the changes. More on that throughout the course of the morning. It's a good example of that, actually, although it's fictional. Uh, I don't know how many people have watched Anatomy of a Scandal. It's based on a book, but it's actually fictional. But it talk, it, it, a lot of court proceedings in this series to do with consent. Now, it also has a lot to do with... Um, Power, control, entitlement, but also consent. Uh, the power of, in, in this case, the power of a man 
over women. Um, and I was just thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about the possible changes in our court system. Um, also, uh, you, you know, moving from that area of law and, of course, what people have to go through uh, to stalking and harassment. And I spoke on the air with Laura O'Connell regarding her nightmare um, and uh, I hope that life continues to improve for her now that uh, Sonia Egan is in jail. Um, she got a three-year sentence uh, with the last year suspended. A long conversation with Laura on air last week, but she's left with a massive legal bill now, uh, really and truly because of uh, all of the different court appearances she had to make for a cease and desist orders and what have you. It's something in the region of €28,000. And her friends set up a GoFundMe to contribute to the cause. Um, and you can get details of it on GoFundMe um, with regards to how you can help. She needs to get that bill paid. Uh, the GoFundMe is called Laura Was Bullied, Stalked and Harassed. And at the moment, it's just shy of €10,000, which is fantastic. So it's great to see that people are donating. She has some way to go, but if you're in a position to help Laura, uh, Cork woman Laura O'Connell, then you can do so on GoFundMe. Laura was bullied, harassed and stalked. And do you recall the story of the girl who fell under a dart? That was before the courts yesterday. Now, there was no actual intent, it was said in court, with regards to the young fella who turned the bike on her. The bike hit her and she fell under the tracks. But it was in court yesterday, nonetheless, and she was there also. Um, Also, the, the girl involved said she felt very let down because you might recall the video footage of the CCTV of the incident at the dart was actually leaked. They don't know who leaked it, but it was all over online. Many of us saw it. And she felt very, very uh, upset about that uh, and very let down about the fact that the footage of what happened to her was actually leaked. Now, the 17-year-old boy, can't be named because he's a juvenile, pleaded guilty to one count of assault. And because of the guilty plea um, and because of uh, other mitigating factors, including just the guilty plea, his lack of prior convictions and remorse, the judge uh, said that he would deal with it by way of community sanction and the Probation Act. Now, I don't know what can be learned for a 17-year-old after this court case. You know, when you talk of, you know, we'll give you probation and a community sanction. Like, what what else to learn that this kind of behaviour is not acceptable? Uh, but being 17, of course, the courts deal with it very differently because of the fact that he's a juvenile. Um, Irish judges, they're saying, in a study that's been done by a few different... Um, I mean, judges would be very annoyed to hear this because it, it, you can't kind of paint all judges with the same brush, but they're saying they're relying on Wikipedia when writing their judgments. I don't quite follow that, but they are saying that Irish judges are using Wikipedia as a source for their rulings. According to a major academic experiment that looked at the Irish Supreme Court decisions, half of which were uploaded to Wikipedia, the judges go to look at them. I mean, if they're uploaded on Wikipedia and they're accurate, right, and they, you know, they're put up properly and correctly, why, why wouldn't it be a source of reference? I, I mean, I don't get it. Uh, but nonetheless, they're, they're probably saying that nobody should be making decisions in course based on what they read online. Um, and then there's one other court case. Well, these will be potential court cases coming down the track. And that's a number of former Irish rugby players who have taken a case against the IRFU over claims that they suffered serious brain injuries during their playing careers. One of the things about playing rugby, of course, is repeated incidents of concussion over and over and over. Hits to the head, kicks to the head, brain bleeds, concussion, of course, and early onset dementia as a result, they say. In other news this morning, if you didn't know the crisis in our healthcare system, we're reminded of it again this morning, where healthcare workers are literally leaving the profession and a lot of them leaving Ireland in their droves. 
particularly nurses and midwives who are leaving healthcare because they just can't afford to stay at it anymore. The hard work, the long hours, the, um, you know, very, very exhausting jobs that they do. Apparently, we need uh, 9,000 nurses and midwives in the next decade or so just to stay afloat. And we're far from afloat at the moment. When you look at, um, you know, what, what can be done when there's the inspiration to do it, you know, we could get so much more done. I mean, I think Charlie Bird is a real inspirational example of how you can get things done if you have the will to do it, right? 3.3 million euro is what Charlie Bird uh, um, managed to uh, collect and gather following his Croke Patrick climb. Now, I know people climbed and did climbs all over the country at the time, while Charlie and others climbed Croke Patrick. 3.3 million euro donated. He split it down the middle and gave half of it to Irish motor neuron disease. Uh, and the other then to uh, the mental health charity Pieta House, he himself having been diagnosed with motor neuron disease last year, 3.3 million. Um, and, and I know that many people got behind him and contributed, but he was the catalyst, wasn't he? He really and truly was. And it's great to see people going overseas on their halls because I know there's chaos in, in the airport in Dublin, not in Cork, but certainly in Dublin. Uh, and I know that they're like losing 300 pieces of baggage every single day, apparently in Dublin airport. But at the same time, people are flying overseas. Um, you know, they, they just need to get a bit of sun uh, for many. Um, and I suppose they've been saving, putting money aside for it. God knows they've got other bills to pay but they're still having a punt and going overseas to get a bit of sunshine because the last two or three years, many didn't have that opportunity. But Pat Dawson from the ITAA is saying that uh, Dublin Airport really needs to start sharing the love now and allow other airports to expand, particularly Cork, to meet the demand of holidaymakers. There's nothing nicer than flying out of Cork and flying back into Cork. There's nothing worse than flying out of Dublin and flying back into Dublin at like one o'clock in the morning or midnight having to get to the car park to get your car and drive to Cork, or to get on a go bus and drive south. Nothing worse than that. Flying in and out of Cork is just wonderful. And he's dead right. He says flights are very, very heavily booked at the moment out of Dublin. And we need to start thinking differently and expanding other airports because we can't have 85% of flying capacity in this country going out of one airport. It makes no sense. Kevin was telling me this morning that one of the tricks people do now is they fly out of Kerry Airport, right? Um, to Dublin, pick up on that if you don't mind, because I think it's an ingenious uh, hack, if you like. Yeah, I think so. They want to get they want to get out of the country, mm-hmm. but they don't want to go through the Dublin queue. So what do they do? Well, I mean, for Aer Lingus Regional, it makes perfect sense because those flights from Cork to Kerry are fairly, you know, they're empty most of the time. There's only for people that are living down that way. What do you mean? Is, there isn't a flight from Cork to Kerry? Or sorry, from Dublin, Dublin to Kerry. To Kerry. Say. Yeah. So the vast, what's happening now is people, uh, particularly this side of the country, are saying, "Well, I have two choices. I can either get the aircoach." or the Gore bus or one of those up to Dublin and have to sit through security and have to spend the entire time hours and hours waiting to try and get through this thing or I can go to Kerry Airport I can check in my bags in Kerry Airport I can get everything sorted for myself I can get into uh, Dublin you know I'm only queuing and for you're airside well that's it you're, you're gone through the security you're airside you can connect through Dublin Airport then onto somewhere else I think it's an, I think it's an ingenious and are people doing idea. that people are doing it how yeah, much are they paying for that, um, that you're obviously talking about far and for Dublin how much for Dublin, I I haven't I don't have it to hand here, but normally it's not that expensive because it's actually a subsidised route. Uh, the route is go- uh, subsidised by the government. There's another one to Donegal as well. Uh, people uh, from Donegal are doing the same in the uh, Inishowen Peninsula. They're getting on the flight in Donegal, uh, flying to Dublin, getting a- arriving in Dublin on airside, and then flying onto wherever they want to go. Very clever, genius. Isn't it? Yeah, they it really take your really time is. ambling through Dublin Airport, transferring through, getting because, a cup of coffee. You know. 
like people are there with hours and hours and hours to to wait. Mm. I mean, I was the same when I was trying to get out. Like, it's fine if you have a book or something and you can maybe have a bit of food, but you could be there, you know. People might get an air coach at midnight, right, to get there on time, and then find that they actually maybe I, I think I had like, I think I was like maybe between four and five hours hanging around the airport. That's the thing. And like like I said, I, I know somebody who was flying off this morning, and they booked the half. Their flight was at seven o'clock in the morning. They booked the half one go bus. Realised that the half one was actually going to be too late. How could it be too late? <laughs> half two, <laughs> half three. They'd be there at half four. Half four for, for a seven, seven o'clock, o'clock flight. flight. But what they're telling you now is that you need to be there. Um, was it two? And a half hours beforehand plus you need an extra hour for a checked in bag so I mean like so where, what time bus do they get I think they ended up getting somebody to drive them all the way up to Dublin because there was no other bus the only other bus was the 11 o'clock air coach and that was full and that's one of the problems as well Neil when, like when you're coming from Cork and there's only like go bus finishes at I think they have one and a half one and they don't go again then until half six in the morning air coach run up until 12 o'clock and they don't go again until I think around five or six in the yeah morning. I know but I love so, them like, I think oh, they're I think they're oh, big brilliant but like if you have a flight at eight or nine in the morning do you get you can't get to six you know you have to get the midnight coach that's the only coach that's available to you midnight there's no train buses. Georgia that's it yeah, I love the carry idea though you'd be happy to know because I know you're a camper van man but you'd be happy to know as well that campsites are rocking all over Ireland and all over Europe a lot of the people who are going overseas are going camping mm. um, and they, it's beating hotels and I was thinking this morning the only reason that they're probably well one of the reasons is because you couldn't afford to get into and pay for a hotel bedroom these days but campsites rather than hotels are the big allure now for holidaymakers in Europe as they're trying to make their way back to traditional and that's a great thing isn't it brilliant what I'd like what I I'd love a buddy actually who recently bought last week here in Barry of Palomine an inflatable tent an inflatable an tent. An inflatable tent. I said to him, how many people? Six. I said, do you have, are there different compartments in it? Kind of different bedroom? There are, he says. You pump it up like a bouncy castle, <laughs> except it's a tent. <laughs> Isn't it brilliant? I love that. That's brilliant. I wouldn't advise taking it to a music festival, though. It probably wouldn't last very long. I think he might be <laughs> a little bit gone beyond music festivals. The only thing, though, like, you can't it, wait to give it a run out. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it blown up. I hope he sends a video <laughs> into us. But, Kamir, on that point, and actually on the point of travelling from Cork, the one thing I would love to see is, um, you know, the Brittany Ferries ferry. I was looking up prices for that the other day. Why is it dear? Ferocious. I love ferries. I love ferries, too. We used to do it as The holiday we were starts kids. when you hit the port of Cork. And, and you know when you get on board you're going to have a relaxing uh, time yeah. I mean, why, why, is, it, why just, is it dear it's 14 or 1500 euros return for a car plus and family it, I mean like and uh, do you get a cabin for that you, yeah you get a cabin but I mean that's it's still very it's expensive a lot of dodge. Dodge. where and does that one go that goes to Roscoff All right. in Brittany and then you drive down we used to do it for years when I was younger and I was looking at it I was like you know because I'm all for getting the ferry I don't mind I'm happy to take the slow route and I enjoy the journey as much as I do the destination 1400 sounds a lot is it, that peak though do you think maybe I probably peak but it's just even even I was looking at ferries in in November over to England and they're all clocking in seven six seven hundred return just for myself and my car yeah no, I know else. it's a lot of dash to, it's to lay just, out it would be wouldn't it be brilliant if I mean I don't we understand the Ryanair are they not paying the same amount for the the cost of fuel is going to be the same they still have to pay all the staff they still have to keep all the lights on would it not make more sense to try and fill up the ferry I don't know man let's uh, find out get people's thoughts on it text 0868104106 when it comes to travel and uh, holidays and you know your own options whether maybe you're into camping and tenting as well like Kieran is with his inflatable tent we need a photograph of it though he needs to blow it up in the back garden at some stage today I can see him down on the ground like a mad thing sun goes down middle of the night and he's still going 
Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. And if you want to get around the issues, um, trying to get airside in Dublin Airport easier and faster, Kevin was talking about the Kerry-Dublin flight, which is far and for Dublin return. We just checked it there for uh, going out maybe uh, on the middle of August or what have you. It's 19, $19.99 each way. So it's €40 Euro return, bearing in mind that's a subsidised flight, but they're the prices you pay. €40 Euro return uh, to fly uh, Farnford Dublin return. Um, so thank you for that, Patrick, for getting in touch with me and sending me the screen grab. You guys are great uh, to come to my aid. Text 0868104106. Can I get to the phone lines? Because I believe this is important and uh, more and more people uh, should be aware of the big changes in our city. I want to start with this this morning, if you don't mind, um, because there's an amount, there's a different public consultation events going on in the city and suburbs at the moment with regards to the plans for a bus connect, which is a 600 million euro investment plan to improve public transport in Cork, buses is what I'm talking about primarily, and more space for them to move faster and more efficiently. Today, there will be another public consultation. This is on the south side at Nemo Rangers. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But Brian Gould went to a recent one, the public consultation for the north side. Brian, good morning. Good morning, always. I'm good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, Okay, just yeah, yeah, just yeah. move around a little bit. Now, oh, well, so fair play to you. You went and you went to Silver Springs, was it? Yeah, Silver Springs. Yeah, many yeah. there down Tiffany. Well, I was there at two o'clock until about three o'clock. There was about fifteen, maybe twenty people there. You know, <clears throat> and but and that was it. D- 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 yeah, well, I mean, other people could catch us on until about six o'clock or seven o'clock or something. I stayed for an hour, had a chat with some of the people that were there. And um, I mean, one of the biggest concerns I had, like, they're having a consultation about bus routes uh, in Grand and Nahini and the holder in Silver Springs in Tiffany. I mean, you can't get a bus connect to Tiffany. If you live in Nahini, Grana, Braha. Isn't that so, so ironic I mean, that they held it in a location that isn't served by a bus? Mother of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a bus that goes down the, the Jewish College Way, like, but I mean, that's not much good to you. You have to get a bus from Nahini into town, then you'd have to get another bus, and then you're trying to get off. And then, have you ever walked from Silver Springs right up to the back of the, the, the where the, where the whole the conference centre? Yeah, it's a, it's it's a like bit a of a climb. You're promoting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, anybody who was, you know, not great on the feet, they picked the most inexplicable place to hold it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, these people who are with Bus Connect and whatever, they might have £600,000, but they haven't got a brain between them. What's the, yeah, what's the, the hotel uh, What's the hotel in Shandon? Is that a Maldron? Yeah, the Maldron. Why didn't they hold it there? But you've got... Why didn't they hold it in the... Can the, the, the Commons open to the public? Why didn't they hold it out in the Commons? Yeah. But they've got the Thomas Max Sweeney School, they've got a lovely hall there. Forget- they've got the community Gosh, hall in, right. in Loch They've got community they've got halls and schools hall. that are closed for the summer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, they just don't care about the public. I mean, if you ever heard of, I don't know if you ever heard of it, it's called the Narrowstand Ladder. There's eight steps to it. And the top of it is where uh, the the, the council would engage with the, with the people and make decisions. And at the bottom of it, it's just, uh, you, you know, just to placate them, just to say, oh, we'll take that boxes exercise. We had a consultation, so we can take that box. And this, this really exercise is the bottom of the people. ladder exercise, is it? 
Yeah, at the bottom of the ladder. Okay. Just box okay. tick. So those changes <laughs> that you, you know, went to see yesterday are Dunkettle to the city, Mayfield to the city, Blackpool to the city, Holly Hill to the city, Sunday's Well to Holly Hill. Those kind of routes. Um, you, you were saying that what it ultimately will do is it will build a three-lane highway in the middle of Nocknahini. So four lanes, two four bus lanes and two car lanes. Right, okay, four, four lanes. lanes. And then you've got a, a, a bicycle lane on either side of it. And then you've got a footpad on either side of it. So, I mean, it's going to be like a, a, a motorway going through a housing estate. I mean, whoever came up with this plan, like... For, I mean, last year the council agreed to give £25,000 um, to put in these ramps, you know, these, these speed bumps. Yeah. Because the, the residents were saying, like, to, to try and slow down the traffic, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. This plant is going to bring more cars and make it wider so fellas with the souped-up cars have a bigger road to zoom up the place. I mean, last year they were going to put in speed runs. Now they want to make it a four-layer highway. And tell me now, is anybody tell, tell talking me now to each other? When, you, when you were there yesterday, I hope to get to Nemo Rangers this afternoon, if I can jiggle, ting, jiggle things around, but when you were there yesterday, did you see any kind of maps or diagrams of people's front gardens being taken off them? Well, they have they, they have beautiful uh, maps and diagrams and whatever, and um, they're, they're absolutely fabulous. Like. I mean, they're, they're 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 beautiful, like. But I mean, they're not living in the land of reality, you know. I mean, they're all the maps that I could kind of say they were taken off of Google Map and put a couple of uh, red and blue lines through them, like where red would be um, highways and blues would be walkways and that kind of stuff. But I I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean. What, I mean, I asked one of the people down there, you can go into small groups, there's about six or seven um, people from Bus Connect and you can talk to them and they show you the maps and what's happening for the particular area that you're interested in. <clears throat> and I asked them, did they, did they do a traffic count going from Baker's Road to the Harborview Road? And he said, no. And I said, why are you putting extra layers of traffic in if you don't know how, exactly how much traffic is on there at the moment? Because that's the first thing you do is to do a traffic count of the amount of cars going in and out of the area. But they didn't do that. And all of and the people, all of the people that you were talking to, are they? Are, were they? Did they all come to the city from um, the NSA in Dublin or from Bus Aaron or, or where did they come from? I, I'm not too sure, Neil. I never asked them that question. No, but I mean, there were sorry, the, NTA, the, 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 the NSA, the NTA. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they didn't, they all seem to have been given this kind of a, a mantra, you know, give it all sustainable transport and all that kind of stuff. And Do you not want board. traffic to move faster? Actually, Do you not want buses to be able to get around quicker and more efficiently? I don't want traffic to move faster in, in Harborview Road and Cathedral Road. I want it to move at a normal pace, not faster. I don't care if it takes an extra two or three minutes to get from uh, Patrick Street up to Nakhlehini. I don't want it to be flying. But what, if, but what if it took and fifteen? Because, what if it took fifteen minutes off the bus journey from Nakhlehini to Patrick Street? It wouldn't. I mean, you're talking about speed. no, no. It would take fifteen minutes I mean, off the journey. It would be fifteen minutes faster. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be because it, 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 the way they've designed it, it, it's going to make absolutely no, no difference because they still have to go the same route that they're doing at the moment. 
All they're doing is widening the roads in Harbourview Road to a four-lane highway. Well, I'm just looking, at, I'm just looking at what they're road. saying. Let's say, for instance, the Blackpool to Cork City Road, which would be a big, massive road. Um, at the moment now, it takes uh, up to 24 minutes. And with the new road system, it would take 10 minutes for the bus to travel. Know what I'm saying? Holly Hill, Holly Hill. The cur- I, this one says that cur- currently the bus time from Holly Hill to the Cork City could be anything from 25 to 29 minutes. Under the new route, it would be just 16 minutes. I travel reasonably. Um, we say every second day from Merchants Key to Nachnahini, right? And it doesn't take anything like that. It goes up there and there's never any traffic jams and are coming down, there's never any traffic jams. So, I mean, I don't know where they're getting these figures from because they haven't done, they haven't done a traffic count. So, how do they know how much traffic is on the road when they haven't done a traffic count? They haven't done a speed count. These are all fellas inside in some office coming up with lovely figures to put on the paper and try and sell these things to people um, before they come out. And then hold uh, a meeting, a consultation meeting about it in some place where people can't get to. I mean, these are the, I mean, I wouldn't believe these people if they taught me my name is Brian Gould yeah. because of the way they're organising things. Okay, okay. Hold on, you know? hold on there if you want, Brian. But I know Colette Finn, the Green all Councillor, right. Green Councillor is, uh, has, has a different approach to it and is very much in favour of all these proposed changes. Colette, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. How are and, you? And I was reading that you were saying the reason that you are behind it um, and very, very passionately behind it is because of climate change. Yes, and also I suppose I want the city to work um, better. And I do have people complaining about speeding. I have people complaining about congestion. Uh, I have people complaining about noise uh, from the N40. So, you know, there's lots of different reasons. But I suppose we do have to uh, acknowledge that climate change is real. Uh, it's it's serious and it's urgent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, if, if if climate change is also that important, why does the proposal include taking out nearly half of a beautiful woodland area called the Mangala, one of the few remaining green spaces uh, where people can reconnect with nature? Yeah. I mean, Bus Connect is out for public consultation, and it's not set in stone. So um, I think people. I, I don't represent uh, the Douglas area. My, I'm more Bishopstown, Ballin College, Toker, Glasheen. So I, I don't know the particular details around Douglas, but I do know that Douglas has a serious car problem uh, in that you can get stuck in in Douglas in your car. So. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm not so sure about that. There are pe- there are pinch times, particularly when schools quit round about between three and four. That can be a bit of a dose and can put maybe 15, 20 minutes. But we kind of know that. We kind of accept that. We're kind of okay the way we are, you know? We're muddling along. Well, I actually have a friend who moved from Douglas to Black Rock because of the traffic. No, I'm not so sure that... Well, I think that might be... A rare exception that somebody would leave a parish because of traffic. Rare exception. There are too many more upsides to leave it. You just kind of, you just put up with it, you know? Well, I suppose um, this is building on a strategy, the Cork Metropolitan Area Transport Strategy. So, I mean, basically we've been looking at, from the point of view of policymakers, we've been looking at, you know, how can we 
have compact growth? How can we have more people living in the city? And if the only choice they have in order for them to move around the ro- around the road is by car, then we're going to end up with more and more congestion. So this is this is a plan to look at how can we actually put in other forms of transport uh, that will move people around the city comfortably uh, and reliably and on time. And, and a part of that, of course, must be to surrender um, parts of your front garden, also to take out huge amounts of on-street parking spaces that will be reduced in the city and the suburbs. And that's the price that is to be paid, is it? But, I, I mean, we if you concentrate on the negatives, you never get anywhere. What about having a, a, a bus that's going to turn up when it says it's going to turn up, that it's going to have a journey time that is, as it says on the timetable, that it's going to allow our children to move around the city independently and safely if they want to use their bicycles, and that you don't actually have to end up as, taxi, as a taxi uh, as a parent because there is a public transport system. So if you go to Europe, you will see that they have been decades ahead of us investing in public transport. But have, isn't, there pl- isn't there plenty of opportunities for people to get up on a bike and go out and cycle across the city and the suburbs? I have no issue if I want to go on my bike anywhere at the moment. You just have to have a bit of care and attention. It's fine as it is. Well, if you look at this, the, the numbers, and uh, that gentleman is incorrect, they have done, done the numbers in relation to how people move around. Far too many of our, our trips are taken by car, uh, and very few of our journeys are actually take, taken by bicycle. And, and the reason people say that is that they don't, they don't feel safe. And we see that um, with the implementation of bollards and the extent to which they get knocked over. So I think it's better that a bollard be knocked over rather than, than a side. And um, so I think it. Has do, do you ever think? Do you ever think that uh, that when cyclists get knocked over and it's an awful thing for it to happen, that it's because they're not obeying the rules of the road and they're not paying attention? Uh, no, I don't think that. Um, I think um, uh, a cyclist is a vulnerable road user, and more than a pedestrian, I don't think you put a blame on them when they, when they get knocked over. Um, absolutely, um, cyclists aren't perfect in the morning. Well, well you blame you blame a pedestrian if they walked across the road and didn't use traffic lights or pedestrian lights, or you you know that that would clearly be their own fault because they walked out into the middle of traffic. I would say the same about a cyclist, for instance, who thinks that they, they don't have to abide by um, the the traffic light sequencing; that they can just uh, do whatever they want and barrel through lanes of traffic uh, without any consequence. I would blame them if they're hit by a car. Sure, that's, well, I mean, that's common I, sense. I can only believe, I can only speak for myself, and I know that when I cycle, I, I stop at the lights, um, and I, I'm, I'm aware of, of cars around me or, or buses, um, and I am much more vulnerable uh, in that space uh, than they are. Uh, and, you know, I think that has to be taken into account. Just, just, I know that, but just on that point, who's responsible? Is it the motorist in a car has to be uber aware of cyclists or is it cyclists that need to be uber aware of themselves and cars? Well, I mean, I think if I and I am a car driver, I'm, I'm acutely aware of somebody who is on a bicycle or a pedestrian. So I, I would say the the responsibility is on the car driver. Now, that's not to say that the cyclist or the pedestrian doesn't have any responsibility, but it, it, no matter who's to blame, if there's a collision, who comes off worse? Oh, well, I know that, and it's awful. I'm not taking from that the consequences of a hit or a smack or something like that. I know that. 
It, it, this, you know, because you mentioned buses and you mentioned cars and you mentioned bikes. This is the Green Party's war on people and their cars and their right to travel in their own vehicle, isn't it? No, I mean, I, I just would object really to the to the language used there around war. I mean, I think we have to have a debate. We we put forward our ideas respectfully, and um, nobody has a monopoly on the truth, and I include myself in that. But you think, think it's too strong to suggest that the Green Party have a war? On private yeah. transport? Yeah. Well, what would you call it? Well, I think we have to be honest with people and I think we have to take our responsibilities seriously. So I think we've been signing up to agreements uh, saying, yeah, yeah, uh, climate change is happening, climate change is real, uh, and the tipping points are getting closer and closer, and it's all business as usual. Yes, when we want to get business done between Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens, like yesterday, the three parties in government could not agree in a reduction in our climate emissions. And I imagine one of the reasons is because Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are very touchy about in any way uh, putting undue pressure and hardship on farmers. So you, you, you've kind of hit a roadblock there, haven't you? Well, I mean, I think our food system is absolutely important. So it's not true to say that that we're targeting farmers. The Green Party understands that our food systems are crucial to our very survival. You want to call the national herd, which involves killing cattle. You didn't want people to be digging peat or digging turf. Um, Well, to be honest, Neil, I came on here to discuss both connects. Okay. Okay. No, I mean, no, you, it's well, you know, one one of the issues that you're unambiguously in favour of the changes, these are your your words, not mine, is because climate change is here and we're ignoring it. It's not an option. So that's why I moved into the area of climate change and emissions and and things like that. Um, Okay. Neil. Yeah, Brian, go ahead. Neil, um, remember there a couple of years ago, they were going to build a Lewis from uh, Ballincollig don't demand. That's still on the cars. That's still on the cars, but that's a little down the track, if you'll pardon the pun. But is is it going to be part of the bus connect or is it going to be uh, a different kettle of fish altogether? I don't know if their left hand and the right hand are different in this one. The other thing thing that the the, the, the one from the Green Party says... Ah, It's not the one from there. It's Colette Finn. She's a Green Green Party councillor for... Colette Finn. Well, Hello, most of this stuff that is in Bus Connect was, was done during COVID because it, it, it was an office desk kind of situation. So how could they go and kind of check the traffic when it was done during a COVID type of a period? So, I mean, they don't have... And um, out-of-date maps as well. Maps that are seven years out-of-date, apparently, they use by all accounts. Yes, all right. yeah, I, okay. I mean, I mean, and then they drew lines on it, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, All right, Colette, just finally, go ahead. It's simply not true to say that this plan is not based on proper data. The Cork Metropolitan Area Transport Strategy did the maths in relation to the number of trips that are being taken by cars, the number of people that are cyc- walking and cycling, and the number of people that are using public transport. And in comparison to other European countries, we are way behind the curve. Now, as you say, Neil, we have to take our responsibility seriously in, in, in the sense of destroying our habitat. And there are three areas, transport, energy and agriculture. Now, each sector has to pay its part. Bus Connects is part of the transport um, strategy in relation to making it easier to move around the city in something other than a car. 
that's all it's about. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you for that. Let me stay with these phone lines. Thank you to Clet Finn. Hold on there a second, Brian, because I've got another councillor who's picked up the phone. That's Councillor John Marr with the Labour councillor for Cork City Northwest. He is saying that you are stoking up fires. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are things? What do you How mean by you? that? He's a constituent. He is uh, a Corkone. Yeah, He's no, entitled to an opinion. No, absolutely. He's entitled to an opinion. But I just heard this, the narrative about Bus Connects. Bus Connects has its false need. That's, that's, that's important to say from the outset. But it's part, the consultation is extended now to the 3rd of October. And people are invited, not only from the public meetings yesterday, and I agree with Brian, I agree with him in the sense that Silver Springs is the worst place to have it. Local councillors of all parties and none emphasise that point. Um, it didn't. It didn't. Uh, it didn't change. Nice hotel, but not for, hugely accessible for people from all over not, the north it's side. Not, it's not accessible. Then you have to climb like the side of Mount Everest to get up to it. You d- no, no, agreed, Neil. That's not the point. The point. No, but is it's an example of not having any joined up thinking, or somebody outside of Cork actually picking that location, just seeing it on a map and saying, "Oh, that'll be perfect." But see, if they were from Cork making the decision, they wouldn't have made that decision. No, agreed. Absolutely. Like, that's not the debate. What I want to assure listeners up here today is, is that, that yesterday was one part of a bigger jigsaw. There is community forums happening throughout August and September. Dates not decided yet. And all local councillors, any of them who will renew, will tell you that we are fighting that if we need 20 in the northeast ward or the northwest ward, then there will be, you know, because that's what we need. We need to bring these plans. Yesterday, the yeah, but he listen, Brian is right. He says this is a box ticking. They will say at the very end of this process, we met all the people, we consulted with everybody, we took everything they put on board. They might make a couple of dicky changes here and there, but they'll drive on regardless. I don't think they will, Neil, and I don't think they'll be allowed. Um, this is, as Colette said, and I agree with Colette, this is so important for Cork City. This is so important for Cork City, and it's so important that we get it right. Like, Neil, just give you an example. I currently, I drive for a living. Since the schools went on, on, on holidays, and on, we'd say from, I come from Balavalan into the city centre, it takes me approximately seven to nine minutes since the school went on holidays. Yeah. Prior to the school going on holidays, it took me between 42 and 48 minutes every morning. Leave now, a little earlier. Leave a little earlier. Leave a little I, later. I, I, again, Neil, that, that might be a viable answer to you. I may be lucky enough that I don't have smallies at home. I'm not under pressure with work, but other people are. They don't have that luxury. They have to wake up in the morning and get little Johnny and little Mary to work. They have to be in at a certain time. And Neil, that's no, you want you want your- you want Mammy and Daddy and Johnny and Mary not to have a car, and you want us all to go out and get on the bus. No, Neil, that's what you want. That's what you want to make this our goal. What I want is I want to give people an option. No, I don't want. I don't want. I don't want. People, people want. People, if possible. I'm not a huge fan of standing at a bus stop in the rain in the middle of winter. Incidentally, you know, I like the independence of my car. But and who? But nobody said. Nobody said we're getting rid of cars. But what we did say is that. We're going to give people an option. We, we know this plan is not going to have 100% people on buses or 100% people cycling. But what it is going to do, and pedestrians, is a key part of Bus Connects also, is improving pedestrianisation, improving pedestrian crossings, giving people a safe place to cross the road. So, you know, it, this, is a, this is a massive project. And the idea is that it's going to eliminate all cars. That is not what it's going to do. A fool 
if we would all be fools if we thought that this was going to do. But what we need to do is reduce our carbon footprint. We need to give people an option. Um, are you, it said where to go about people driving or about the bus times being faster. It will now because we have smarter technology when it comes to payment that you'll be able to tap, you know, that you can use other things than a lead card. Um, you know, whereas at the moment you're there with coins. That's just, a, that's just one thing. Uh, in in we'd say if that's one mechanism that's going to make things faster. and that's a, that's another war then that's the war on people who want to carry cash. It's, you're, 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 you're all wars. You're, you're all wars today. I, I no, no, but no, so so then I we reach a situation where cash is no longer acceptable on public transport. Cash is no longer acceptable in retail, and you're already alienating huge. Sections of society, particularly elderly people who don't get I, leap I, cards or debit cards or Revolut, they just don't. I'd, I'd imagine cash will still be taken. The point being is that if you're like me and like many others who forget about cash now and you go on a bus with your bank card, it can't be taken. Now, in that in this day and age, that's a bit silly. It's not the negative. It's about the people like me who run out. Oh, and I'd imagine many of your callers run out and go, oh. I only have cars, you know, and there's very, it goes okay. to a nice cool. place now okay. on the weekend and on the beach. And if you, if you have a car, some, some of the machines don't take it. Okay, you okay, I, I, I understand. It, it can be, it's me, a very me. handy option. But the, the National Transport Authority were given 600 million euro by someone somewhere. Is that taxpayers' money? Of course it is. Okay, so 600 million euro for Cork alone, right? This is just Cork alone. And with that 600 million, then they put in these, all of these new corridors. Just pick one as an example. Your one, Balancholic to Cork City. You're right when you say at present, the end-to-end journey for a car can take up to 50, or a bus can take up to 56 minutes. Now that would be during peak traffic. So as part of that 600 million euro being spent in Cork, it will reduce the bus time from 56 to 35 minutes. So it'll be a 20-minute faster bus journey. Does that really matter? When 600 million would have spent, would have built an awful lot of houses and schools and places for special needs children on Leaside? Neil, again, obviously housing needs to be built and and people with with disabilities need to be looked after. But we also need to reach our, our, our... our responsibilities with regards to our carbon footprint and reducing that. I don't and that. I'm next. talking about prioritising our needs, I, man. I know, but Neil, you're not, like, I'm the guy in a car, I'm lucky. Many people rely on public transport and we're giving two fingers to them. There's many people that cycle, they make this choice. This is not us and them. This is about getting the right plan for everyone and that's my point. But the reason I'm on here today is that the public consultation is up till the 3rd of October. There is community forums they will be planned in August and September, and I know all of the 31 elected councillors in Cork City Council, and I, 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 it's the one time I could speak for all of them, will be pushing and banging and ensuring that all public consultations, when it comes to the finer detail, which I was there yesterday for two hours, and I didn't get that finer detail, so I kind of at the moment can't give out about anything because I don't know what the plan is because it's not at that stage yet. Yesterday, I gave my opinions. Everyone is entitled to give their opinions still. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. We may, I may be back to you in two months and say, Neil, you called it right. It was a box-ticking exercise. There, there, there is that potential. You have seen I the routes and the route that. maps, though, have you? I've, yeah, I have, Neil, but the route... You understand, yesterday, the route maps were, when you looked at them, 
you know, you didn't get the finer detail. You, you didn't. Oh, okay, when I asked, uh, I'm from the north. Yeah, gar- gardens will go. Parking spaces will go. Trees will be cut. Half the mangle of woodlands will be gone. Um, Cyclists, that, that cyclists happens. will get more access to the roads. Buses will get more access to the roads. Um, th- th- that's that's pretty much the that's it in a nutshell. I I I, I don't think so. um, again, as I said from my perspective yesterday, is that when I looked from the Mayfield to the city centre route, and I asked what gardens would be affected, I didn't get an answer. Okay. Um, I did not get an answer. So the point is then is that until I get that answer, how do I know how bad or good it's going to be? Or not not just gardens, though. Not just gardens. Uh, you yes. also need to know, in the event of a building being in the way, and that could be a home, right? They have a term yeah. called acquisition of buildings. Um, if a building's in the way of any of these corridors to widen the roads for buses and what have you, the building will be bought. So that could be somebody's home, not just their garden, but their home. It could, and I'd imagine, Neil, with local, with local knowledge and people making representations, that there'll be a way to overcome some of that. I've also had people come to me, Neil, who said, <clears throat> I, I did my land. You know, so <clears throat> it's just that this is the process we're in. And that's all it is at the moment. And it's very important for your listeners to understand that. Is that, you know, and, and Brian said it, that nobody wants a, a four-carriage, two-carriageway going through a resident state. But now is the time to engage in that. And, and the more the merrier... Absolutely. And there will be community forums. I know that, yeah. It's just very, I understand that. And there's more today and I'll go through that in a minute. But there's also one final point. If somebody, if somebody has a home with a front garden, right, and they're paying a mortgage on it, the bank owns it. So along comes the NTA and they take out half of your front garden. They might pay you for it. Do you keep that money or does the bank own that money or does that go off your mortgage or do you have to tell the bank who owns the property? Like, it's very complicated. It, it, absolutely, Neil. I, 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 don't, I can't answer that and I'll be straight up with you. I'd imagine it's your money. Um, I'd imagine it's, but I... I, I, I well, I don't you don't own the property until the final mortgage payment is paid, though. Yeah, I don't, look, Neil, I don't know. You, you, you know you've okay, no, I'm just, I'm just giving an example of the complexity yeah, of it yeah. all. Okay, all right. And, and, and again, I would, say, I would say no is the time to ask those questions genuinely. Okay. And, like, it is not perfect. Let's be honest, it is not perfect. But no is the chance to make it as perfect as we can. Okay. And the more engagement for communities, the better. Okay, thank you for that, Councillor John Maher. Just finally, do you just want to jump in there, Brian, because I need to move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, half, one side of Knocknealy's left-hand side of Harborview Road, on the maps that they have, all the gardens there have to be taken away to widen the road. Say that I mean, again now, say, say that like again that. now. Which one was that? Harborview Road, the left-hand side of the road, as you go up Harborview Road, on the maps that they produce Monday, all the gardens there are to be taken away. Not all the gardens, but a portion of the gardens are to be taken away so that they can widen the road to make it a four-lane highway. All of the front gardens in Harborview Road are going to be compulsorily purchased to widen Harborview Road at the expense of people's gardens. Not all of the gardens, probably half of the gardens. Half like, of the gardens. But on the left hand, half of the gardens going up half of your road, which will mean that people who have parking spaces at the moment in their garden, Gone. they're not going to lose that parking space and they're going to have to park on the road. Okay, all right. Thanks for that amount of time. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. Text 0868 106. We'll pick it up after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. 
Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Last couple of days dominated by movement. Today, of course, we've been talking about issues regarding the changing face of our city and suburbs. But yesterday it was speeding and driving and the doubling of uh, fines for people who have been uh, caught with a speeding offence or indeed not wearing a seatbelt or uh, somebody who's been texting or using a handheld phone while driving. Things like that. Huge response to it by text, and I will come back to all of those throughout the course of the morning. Uh, I just want to mention, just go back to something that I was chatting about this morning. This is, as the Mail puts it this morning, sweeping new laws for cases of sexual violence. We did see, we have, there's a change in our courts now. They're taking uh, many things that heretofore may not have related, re- resulted in a custodial sentence an awful lot more seriously now. Harassment coercive control, issues like that. We know of the case of Laura O'Connell, her nightmare, um, and I'm reading from an Echo article uh, from about a week or ten days ago, uh, because she was the subject of awful harassment, intimidation and stalking, as was uh, Jonathan O'Brien, the former Sinn Féin TD. That resulted in a custodial sentence against Sonia Egan. And of course, you heard the story of the Dublin-based guard of Paul Moody, his controlling uh, behavior uh, towards his partner at the time, converse, coercive control, vile coercive control of his terminally ill partner. That also resulted in a custodial sentence yesterday. And then with regards to sexual offenses, um, the laws will change. Going through cabinet at the moment is the Sexual Offenses and Human Trafficking Bill. And it will strengthen the protection of victims. And to some extent, the, even the anonymity of the defendant, like the accused will be given anonymity in case they're found not guilty of the offence. And and that needed to change because in the past we had not guilty verdicts where the defendants had been trashed and named and all sorts of information shared and horrible things said and then they were found subsequently uh, not guilty. But that's just one of the issues. Also another one is that the public will be kept out of courtrooms for all sexual offence trials and most importantly around the issue of consent. And I want to chat with Mary Crilly on that because that's the area actually that they really want to look at. You know, what is the threshold with regards to believing that consent was given in the case of sexual activity, where then it subsequently becomes uh, a charge of, of rape? Mary, good morning. Morning, morning. Well, what, so what, what are your, actually, what are your thoughts on these changes when you look at them as a whole? I kind of welcome them. I mean, I think the system we have the um, is archaic, it's old, it's not fit for purpose, but anything that makes changes in it and balances the, the system is definitely of, of concern and definitely welcomed. I mean, what I would welcome in this one is that I find in cases, and I was in a lot recently of this year, where the credibility of the victim is up for grabs all the time, her credibility, uh, you know, even stuff. I, I totally understand where if somebody's raped or abuse happens, where they have to draw a picture for the jury about what happened, you know, when it happened, what was leading up to it. I totally get all that, but I don't understand why if a 40-year-old woman is up in court who's been raped, why um, her counsel notes from maybe 20, 30 years ago are called into question or brought into court. Really? That far back? How is that relevant? I I understand the importance of a fair trial where there's a not guilty plea entered, like, but trawling through somebody's life. And and, and I totally agree about not naming the perpetrator unless he's convicted. And then I'd love to name those who decide to give character references. Now, that's another story. I'd name every last one of them. But I do welcome it because it means now that the person who's accused can no longer say, I was really drunk, I can't remember, or I was so drunk, I thought she agreed. They have to really prove objectively how did you get consent. You know, if somebody's sleeping, um, if somebody is drunk, 
you have to just really prove it. You know, be a drag somebody out from a nightclub and say, I thought she was on for it. You have to prove now, instead of her proving, the owners has been on the victim all the time to prove that she did say no, that she didn't consent. You know, and sometimes if she's given something or passed out, sometimes they can't remember exactly what happened. So, you know, I do welcome it because it's about time these perpetrators had to stand up um, and say exactly what happened or what they think has happened. But what I do find... With because was it very vague up until now where somebody, a perpetrator, as you call them, could say, um, as far as I was concerned, it was consent. In fact, I was, I was very drunk, but I, I thought I was consensual. Absolutely. That's all he had to do. And, you know, if you think that the victim has to walk on the stand, given her evidence, maybe on the stand for a day or two about her past, about her previous history, about everything, you know, totally unrelated to the assault that happened. He doesn't have to stand up and say anything. The state have to prove the case. So, you know, I do welcome this one where he has to prove or even say in one way how he got consent, not just she consented. Like, all they have to do is say... Um, I did it or I didn't do it. Nothing else. They don't even have to understand. Um, it's not fair, I suppose. That's what I'm saying. I think the onus is on the victim all the time to prove that he didn't do it. But not only the onus on the victim to prove that the way they say it happened, happened, but to prove her credibility. I mean, can you imagine, we all have difficult times in our lives and if you had a difficult time in your life and you're with a counsellor, which is really great, um, and that was maybe 20 years ago and all those notes are looked for. They look for notes for us all the time. Now, our notes are quite brief. The councillors are very wise in the centre and that they keep them very brief because everything that is said to the councillor will be brought into question. Now, what has that got to do with a rape case or a case of child abuse? What has it got to do with it? I mean, I would ask all the councillors out there who are doing notes just maybe to have a look and consider what they are putting in the notes because... They're still looked for. So why why haven't they gone further then? And Helen McEntee also, because you've just said something there about trawling into somebody's past, trying to prove that they were, you know, that there were, uh, you know, aspects to their life 15 or 20, 25 years ago that were questionable. Their lives. Why is that that relevant? Like that's that's it's, form of, it's almost I, like a I form of harassment. I think we're still dealing with the adversarial system where, you know, he's um innocent until proved guilty, which is quite right. But I mean, I think there's ways of proving guilt without discrediting the victim. And that's something else we're chipping, chipping away at. I think there will be changes there, but, you know, it's slow. But at least, um, in fairness to Helen McEntee, she's made, she's made a lot of changes this year and has really brought sexual and domestic violence to the forefront of her cabinet. I think she's done amazing things. So in, in the past, up until now, and I'm just quoting parts of the bill here that says that um, it'll include the provision that self-induced intoxication will not be a defence to a charge of rape. Like as in, the accused cannot claim that they were too drunk to, ex- to assess properly whether the victim had cons- consented. Up until now, that, that would have probably resulted in a not guilty verdict, would it? Oh, it would have, and it would have been totally accepted. Or it would have been totally accepted that he was with her earlier on the night and they were together or they were getting close and then he decided in his drunkenness that he thought she wanted to continue. You know, I've seen stuff where, um, you know, somebody might have been with, be with a woman and then, you know, engaging just in kissing and that kind of stuff and then she stopped at that and then later on the night he would decide to continue or go into her, her room or whatever to keep going because he believed that she wanted to keep going with it. You know, that kind of rubbish that any sane person would know um, that that couldn't be true. But, you know, in fairness to the juries, I think the bar is so high that they have to decide beyond any reasonable doubt 
that the, re- with the, yeah, with the reasonable, because like, you would think that in many cases, a jury would possibly be told by the victim, I said no, I said stop. He didn't stop when I said no. So that would be, like, you know, you know wouldn't that, that'd be, yeah, that'd but, be acceptable. Yeah, but, but as you know, Neil, because you've been there like in, in different cases and have interviewed so many people over the years, that of her credibility is if she's discredited in any kind of way, the jury have to take that into account and that they're warned by the judge that if any slight doubt, no matter how slight, they have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'd find it hard, I think, on a jury, no matter how much I want to find somebody guilty, you know, with all the evidence you're given and with the warnings you're given to find somebody guilty. I mean, the bar is just ridiculously high. Yeah, because it's said that these changes, particularly one with regards to consent, will make it easier for a jury to test whether an accused person honestly believed they had consent. Would you agree with that? I I would, because I think they've done that in the UK and it has made a difference in that can't just be blasé and say, I thought you want to... You know, I mean, we've been in cases where a woman would be even quite injured, quite badly injured, and the defendant would turn around and say... Um, I knew she was consenting or I thought she was consenting and I knew she liked it rough. Oh, for God's sake. And that's accepted. You know, I mean, all this kind of stuff where I do find, you know, after all my years of dealing with people, um, the one place I despair my heart drops is when I go into court because I don't see a huge difference in 40 years but I still am optimistic about changes and I wouldn't knock them because we do need more and more changes and, and then you yeah. know friends and, and families and counsellors have to deal with supporting somebody who's gone through that and who'll often say I'm so sorry that I ever reported I'd love to see that change. Or people would say, well, at least I was in court. I saw how it went. I was given a fair go. I wasn't destroyed or discredited. And whatever happens, happens. You know, it's kind of the destroying and the discrediting that they they really feel bad about. And then, like I said, the character references if somebody is found guilty, because very often somebody in their community or their club or whoever who is putting up that character reference for somebody who has been found guilty of rape or child sexual abuse. That's right up to politicians, incidentally, but we won't go into that. I know what you're I know, saying. I, I mean, but also, if you if you look at the change where it says that, um, you know, that the accused will be given anonymity, that's very important because we have seen people be trashed and ultimately found not guilty, but their lives were just left in chaos and wreck. I, I'd agree with that. I mean, we've never fought, you know, to have somebody named when a case is going on. I mean, I think that's fair enough. Um, I might have my own personal ideas where, you know, we're seeing somebody who says they're raped by so-and-so, but, you know, it's fair enough. You go to court, if the trial is fair, if it's balanced, don't name him until there's conviction. You know, we're totally with that. We're totally, you know, following that and supporting that. And the public as well, just finally, the public will be kept out of courtrooms. Why is that, I wonder? Okay, if you think the, the, the high court, like where it's held in private, where it's held in camera, and nobody can come in, in the central criminal court, but in a circuit court, you know, for example, I was there with a young woman last year who was, you know, her father had abused her and she was in court, and I counted 30 people in the room. This was just before COVID. Members of the public? Members of the public. Attending something, I mean, they had no reason to be there apart from the word just... No reason, no reason at all to be there. I mean, it's a circuit court, it might be waiting for other cases to come up, but it was quite obvious what was happening, what was going on. Um, and, and this is where people get a shock because they are told they're not going to be named, but still when juries are called, they're named because, you know, the judge needs to ensure that nobody on the jury knows the victim or knows the perpetrator. But then in, in that courtroom, 
um, I mean, I'm hoping it's changing now since COVID where it is quite empty. But before that, you could have 20, 30 people in there and just sitting, languishing, watching the whole trial a young woman or a man or whoever's up there trying to give evidence. It, so I'm really yeah, glad I mean, like these would be, these are, And these would be strangers hearing the most personal, harrowing stories of somebody who bravely is on the stand looking out at members of the public. Totally. I mean, the last time we were sitting in a row, because you know, as you know, the victim doesn't really have a certain place to sit in the court. So she's up sitting at the back with members of the public. And there was three young fellas kind of... Um, sitting there with their legs kind of spread out and I really had to ask them to move to let her out to go back up and stand. Okay. That, that kind of stuff. Now, I know the barristers don't like that but I don't think they had any control where in the central criminal court is definitely kind of in private and nobody entered. So I do welcome that because I think it's difficult for everybody, especially when families might be involved. So, you know, public don't need to be there. They can read the reports afterwards. So that needs that needs changing, doesn't it, really, in, in the sense that a lot of those ways they were seem to be quite old-fashioned now. Obviously, you need to also protect the, uh, the rights of the, the accused or, or the defendant. Um, but um, I think that if you look at it on the whole, it also makes life easier for the, for the jury to make a call because they must find trying to make decisions like this absolutely harrowing. I'd say they find it horrific and I'd say they're listening to stuff um, that they can't really believe and they are listening to two sides of a coin and two yeah. sides of a story. I think it's very hard for them and they might never have come across that kind of amount of detail and, you know, to try and sit there for days or weeks on end with no expression on their face and hear the most horrific stuff. I think it's very difficult for them and then to try and make a decision about whether they'll find somebody guilty or not guilty because it is seen, which it is, as um, something really horrific to happen to somebody. If and how do, you, how do you check then? It says the accused will have to show a jury the effort he made. Incidentally, that should be he or she really, I suppose, if you think of it. The accused will have to show a jury the effort that he made to check whether he had consent. How would you do that? Well, I think what you wouldn't get away with would be, you know, I was too drunk, I thought she was on for it, is more or less changing what is what is happening. And they've done it in the UK, so I think, you know, besides we can't get somebody to sign a consent form, um, it is just common sense really I think the jury would see that you know that you're with somebody she was awake she was kind of saying yes she wants it or she wants to be intimate with you or she didn't it's, it's really down to common sense rather yeah. than just a decision where somebody says I thought she consented and she said I absolutely didn't but how would you but prove then consent also, then if the if the <laughs> well I mean they're, 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 they're managing to prove that she didn't consent you know by finding all these guys not guilty so I'm sure they'll find a way that'll be down to all the barristers, you know, to get on the show to with that niggly point of yeah. kind of how they do it, you know. Like, the, like you, you mentioned there. I'm not so sure will it ever get to that. A consent form. It'll never get to that. No, no. But there are ways because in other countries they have changed the system and made it more victim and accused friendly. In that it's balanced. So there are ways. So I'm sure if you just look around other jurisdictions, they kind of work it out in their own way how to do it okay, okay and the other thing I'd love if she did was kind of reduce the time like the last few cases we've been in um, the both parties have been waiting four to five years for her to go to court why is that that's a long time to keep your life on hold well outside of COVID it was kind of just, just so many delays in court like if, if we were told or to support somebody say in October um, 
And I'd say to the person, have you been there already? And she'd say no. And then in my head, I'd say, well, you're not going to be this time either. It's going to be delayed for at least another year. It just seems to be constant delays, constant putting off, constant kind of um, not happening when it's supposed to be happening. And does that lead to anybody just, just pulling out of a trial and say, I don't want to go on with this? They try, but they can't because they're a witness in the trial. You know, they're just a witness for the state. Once it starts, so they, you they can't, can't back out. Once you give your statements and sign your statements and the guards have done the investigation, you can't oh, back out wow. without consequences. So you have to live with that for three, four, five years, whatever You do, you do, yeah. Both <sighs> parties do, yeah. Mary, good to catch up. Thank you so okay. much for your you clarity too. and you information you know as always. What? Take Thanks care. So Take care. Take Bye. care. Mary Crilly, Chief Executive of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Gemma, thanks for taking the call. Morning to you. Morning, Neil. You know, I was chatting to Laura on the air and I think you were listening and it rang a few bells of similarity in your own life some years ago. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. It must be extraordinary to hear another woman share a similar story of, of what they call coercive control, although the, the title or the name doesn't do it justice, really, sure, doesn't? No, no, not at all. Does it help then to hear that other women are also sharing similar stories? It does and it doesn't. Mm. It, it helps in the sense that, you know, there's other people that have gone through it, but it would be a better world if there wasn't other people that Yeah, went but I it. suppose going through it, whether it was you or whether it was Laura or many other women, and sometimes men, when they're going through it, they think they're the only person in the world, and God Almighty, they're just not. No, no, definitely not, definitely. And you were quite young, weren't you, when, when, when you met, met, this, met this chap? No warning signs or anything, everything hunky-dory to begin with, was it? Yeah, yeah, early 20s. Yeah, yeah. And what happened? I mean, how, how did he change? Um, I actually don't know. I, it, it was as if it just kind of almost just happened. Um, I couldn't tell you any kind of major event that made a change or anything like that. I suppose just pieces like changing behaviours, mm. changing moods, um, that kind of started to happen. Mm. And with that then kind of brought frustration and a lot of control. And that's kind of how I remember it happening. Mm. Mm. Do you know, I'm, I'm sure there was probably events and stuff like that, but... Um, yeah, I don't even know if that even makes sense. It's kind of like, it, to think back, I don't see any kind of red red flags or yeah. any sudden ch- um, changes. You know, Laura, Laura was talking about control very much on a kind of domestic level uh, with regards to having to account for every single penny spent, you know, bills for supermarket shopping divided, anything that was of personal nature to her had to be paid for separately, uh, you know, splitting the ESB bill, the gas bill down the middle, all this kind of stuff, you know, that kind of nonsense that would never be tolerated normally. Yeah, my, mine was mine was the same. My um, My shopping bill used to be like, if it was... If it was 50 euro, it'd be 25 euro. If it was 50 euro and 50 cent, it was 25 euro, 25 cent. And did you ever kind of say, this is insane, you know, why, why are we doing this? I did. I did because uh, this relationship wasn't my first serious relationship. I started to kind of see it and I did want to leave plenty of times, plenty of times. Like I, I knew I had to leave, but I couldn't because I was constantly getting threatened with suicide. Oh, I'll kill myself if you leave me, really? Yeah, yeah. Like many a time now, he would actually leave and 
like telling me that he was in a graveyard or, you know, things like that. So I suppose total emotional manipulation. Yeah, absolutely. So that must have been a dreadful weight of responsibility on your shoulders then, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think I think that was probably one of the hardest parts was like either my own life or his life. But at the time, I didn't kind of think my own life was in as much danger as his life. So therefore, the relationship just kind of struggled on for a period of time, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just got worse and worse. In what way could it in what way could it get worse? It got more violent. Like a lot of violent outbursts, more manipulation, mind control, all all different kinds like all different like forms of abuse almost now that I I know what abuse is like. You so mean things like see. gaslighting where you were led to believe that things weren't the way you perceived them to be or that you were losing your mind, is it? Oh yeah, like totally, like it was all my fault and like it was it was all me. I struggled with bouts of depression, so that was constantly being used then like so I often sat there and said, Oh, maybe it is my behaviour that's causing this but now now I know it wasn't. But at the time when you're constantly like when you're constantly being told that it's your fault, then you you need to like you believe then that it is your fault. What impact does that have on you then? Does it kind of bring about a feeling of worthlessness? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Like 100 million percent. And I had a situation then when we were around family, he would act amazing, like this absolutely brilliant partner. So even like if I was to tell my family, they'd be like, I know everybody goes through a hard time. But now now that they know the extreme that it went to, they were saying, oh, my God, you should have just told us how bad it was. So they didn't pick up on anything over that long period of time, no? No, no, they really didn't like and even that now brings massive guilt within my own parents. They find it really hard that they didn't see any signs either, but they were they, like they were almost believing all like they were being manipulated as well. Yeah, because he level. was putting on the show in front of other people, you're saying. Did you confide yeah. in anybody during that period of time? I did. Yeah, I did. A friend, was it? What advice did you get? I got told to get out. And to go as fast as I could. But I also had a child in the situation. So you that brings the whole spanner of works in in itself as well. Yeah, yeah. you stayed. But he, he, was it his child? Yeah. But therefore, if it's his child, why is he deducting the cost of nappies or food for his own child from the shopping bill? Oh, that didn't matter. That It didn't matter if his child's stuff was on it or if it was my stuff. It was 50-50. That's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, yeah, but, but anyway, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be understandable, really, because it's torture, it's cruelty, it's emotionally painful, leads to constant yeah, worry was, in your life and depression. Yeah, He was working and he was a really, really good job as well at the time. So, like, he, it would have been, like, our, our money coming into the house, I would have probably had 10% of the money coming into the house, very low percentage compared to what he was bringing in. And do you look back at that as being a power over you? Oh, complete control, just an, another form of control. My whole relationship was just about a, a way to control. And even even when I was free and like even um, up to recent years, you could like that I could see more clearly. Yeah. You could definitely see that there was still control was trying to be had. Even like I'm married now and to somebody else. And even now that I'm married, there was still instances that this person thought that they could still control me. From a distance, is it? Yeah, well, through like text messages mm. and 
you know, just all, all other kind of mm. life things, you know. Okay, I'll, um, I'll, de- I'll deal with your, your battle to get better because you did have to get better and to fix yourself. But it's interesting you say when you could see clearly. Imagine a, yeah. a long period of your life was like living in a fog. Were your movements being controlled? Did you, I'm only asking you questions that other women have shared with me in the past. Did you have to count for where you were and who you were with? Yeah, I had, I have no, I had no friends. Like absolutely no friends. I had a sister that was the person that gave me that, that I confided in. But like as far as friends, I had acquaintances because I never let anybody get close enough. I never wanted to see anybody. I didn't want people to see how weak I was. But I also wasn't allowed to have close friends because if I did have a re- if I did have a close friend or if I started to get friendly to somebody, all of a sudden then like there was constantly like faults being picked within that person. Yeah, I know, I know. And like, they're like, they, you know, and I was led to believe then that that person was no good for me. So I was completely isolated for a good, a, 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 like a, a good so you, time. So you dropped a lot of friends from your life, did you? Yeah. And, and do you know what? I suppose a lot of friends as well, they, they just didn't know what was happening. So when they saw me not coming out and like, uh, like asking me to go on nights out or girls trips or whatever. And the fact that I was constantly having to say no with no reason or an excuse. I suppose that a lot of them were kind of like, oh, do you know, geez, she's just going to say no again, which isn't their fault either. It no, was just that, no, do you no. know, that's that's a part. Like, Strange that nobody asked you, how come you've changed so much? Is everything OK? You know, in hindsight now, I'm talking about the benefit well, of hindsight. I, I, I had only just had a baby as well. So, okay. I suppose so they probably, probably thought, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. And, and tell me then, when did it actually, because at any stage you could have, anonymously, well, not even anonymously, but just discreetly call the guards, certainly if it got violent, couldn't you? I did. That's how I got out. And was there um, one incident or, uh, that, that led to you picking up the phone? Yeah, yeah. There was one major incident, a massive incident, and our lives were nearly over, basically. It was really, really violent. I came away with a lot of... Um, I, came, I came away fairly broke up, but... Yeah, I managed to lock myself into my daughter's room and I managed to ring the guards and they told me that I had to find a way for them to get into the house. I think there was something to do with like that they didn't have the device to get in the door or there was something. And I, it was in the middle of the night so I had told them that the house was locked and I managed to get them in to the house and he was arrested out of the house. And well, okay, and we it. won't go into any further detail than no. that because you're not comfortable. So thank you for that aspect no. of it. I know it's very troubling for you, uh, but you yeah. didn't you you didn't continue with charges or anything. Sure, you didn't. No, I took bad advice from somebody who basically told me to be done with it and just close the door. And if I didn't press charges, he'd never be seen again. Okay, and not and not in a violent way, but in a way that he would be gone. Yeah, as in if you don't continue with charges, don't involve the guards, don't go through the court process, which could take years. Don't do any of that, and it'll end now. Yeah, okay. yeah, because I, I, he could be out in a matter of months if I did press charges. Okay. That was what I was being told. Okay, so but did you get to hold on to your home and everything? I did, but I moved out within within about, God, I moved out within a couple of months because I didn't want to stay there any longer. But you must have needed a lot of fixing. I did. I did. I, I, had, I, I had my own issues from childhood anyway. And I suppose this was kind of almost the, as they say, they meant us into the bottle of Coke situation. Mm. Do you know, the, the exploder. And um, I, for a lot of years, I didn't do anything but I used to find myself getting triggered an awful lot. 
by situations, by names, by movement. And that's why I texted in for that girl today that said Nora. that names and stuff, you know, would kind of bring up things. Because for years I lived like that on eggshells, you know, and constantly being terrified. And, you know, even, God, you'd be very surprised, like even a smell driving down a certain road that maybe you might have you might have gotten abuse off the person on or anything like that. It brings back a hole. It's like yeah, opening a suitcase. Yeah, there was a there was a road and an incident where literally you were left on the side of the motorway with your baby and, and he drove off, right? So that motorway would be a trigger for you. Yeah, yeah. And I would travel that motorway an awful lot and I would look at that part of that road where he was left and like there was loads of other incidences. Like, and I went on then and I had more children and when they were small, like little things, do you know, like I'd look at them at the age that my daughter was and that was triggering. So one day I just said to myself, I said, do you know what? Like enough is enough. I'm not leaving him have any more control over my life. He had tried to come back into the life for a period of time and had basically like a few, a couple of years back and um, he caused havoc again. And I just said, do you know what? I'm not like... No, like you've taken enough now and there's no more to this. So I got on to my doctor who told me about a form of treatment. It's called it's trauma for trauma counselling and um, for trauma victims. And it's supposed to be the best way to kind of deal with like really hard suppressed memories that have a lot of emotion, feeling and trigger points attached to them. Yeah, for anybody so, who's gone through traumatic events or a series of traumatic events or indeed a traumatic life. Um, this a is traumatic life more so, yeah, yeah, because like it's a traumatic event can sometimes remain within the event. But if a series of traumatic events, they could be there could be loads of different trigger points. There could be loads of different triggers and that that's very hard to control, you know, as a person. Yeah. So the therapy that I was recommended was, was um, a therapy called EMDR therapy. Yeah. Trauma um, counseling, which is funded by the HSE. Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing. It's I'm actually currently just coming to the end of it there now, but I like as I said, like I, I'm actually getting the full benefit out of it because I'm doing a lot of it for childhood as well and other other you know just other, like other traumatic events yeah, in my life. Yeah, yeah. But I like that. Like his his era was kind of the first one that I really tackled. Yeah. It, they sit you down and you have two buzzers, buzzers in your hands with lights and you constantly watch the lights going from side to side. So you constantly remain within the room. But you, the memories start to kind of flood back. But it's it's really controlled the way it's done. And now, like now I can drive past the house where I used to live and it means nothing to me. Yeah. Now I can hear a name. It means nothing to me. Like, I don't live like that anymore. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't matter yeah. how it works as long as it works. It works, yeah. Like, I have I, I went through a lot of counselling afterwards, uh, just normal, basic counselling, and I found none of it worked. And I even tried CBT counselling, and I didn't find even that worked. But this one, definitely, I think it was more so because this counselling is nothing about your future and it's nothing about your now it only picks events. So it's not about like, it, you don't bring up, you don't talk about any anything other than traumatic events. And when you do talk about them, you visit them, but it's in a really, really controlled manner. Yeah. Is there a bit of a fear though, that when you go into this kind of therapy, that initially you are really re revisiting the distressing memories again? No, because it's all, it's all done through your rapid eye movement. 
So the person is sitting across from you. So like she can or she or he can see when your eyes start to get distressed. So when you're watching these lights and you start thinking about something, your eyes obviously have like a reaction. I obviously don't know the reaction because they're my eyes, but they would have a reaction and she can see that reaction. And with that, then she pulls you back straight away almost and it's like just remember now you're here and it's now and and how do they eradicate but do they actually eradicate those memories or or block them no. is it no i have every single one of the memories but now when i think about the memories there's no i wouldn't say there's no emotion attached there is obviously emotion attached but it doesn't have the massive impact that it used to have fascinating isn't it and is that available through a gp referral yeah yeah and it's 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 uh, it's actually through the mental health services so the likes of, you know, I, again, the mental health hospitals that mm. do the day patients. Yeah, okay, which could um, be the Mercy or CUH, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or I think Middleton do one, y'all do one, Samayer do one. EMDR therapy, let that be a yeah. message to people who might want to reach out to, through their GP to but try you know it. What? I just said after listening to that girl, and I've listened to a lot of the stories on over the last few months. Like, I remember there was a story, a girl, Amy, as well, that was on. And yeah, like, I know. There's been so many. And, you know, again, this morning and yesterday, because it had, I was just wondering, you know, with, in, in the case of your situation, Laura's situation, both of these were probably triggered from us talking about learned behavior in childhood. This all started from whether slapping your children is a good thing or a bad thing. And I was asking the yeah. question, you know, do, do, like, like what happens to a child who's slapped and beaten? How do they grow up? You know, um, what, what if they've got an overbearing parent, say, for instance, do they then when they become adults? So the point I'm asking is the behavior you went through at the hands of a man, was that learned from his father or his mother, you know? People, a lot of people say that, and I, I like, you know, I really don't agree that. I think that everybody has their own mind, and everybody has a choice. Like I, I remember years ago, I used to question that, and I remember a friend saying to me, she knew two brothers, and they were raised by an alcoholic father who used to beat his um his wife and one never drank for the rest of his life because he saw what he saw and he never wanted to be that person. Yeah, and then the other person became an alcoholic because they saw what they saw and they needed a crutch to get through what they witnessed and what they saw. Yeah. So yeah. I suppose, like, you still have your own mind. It's what you make of it. No, because I often hear of being that we are a product of our environment and the most important yeah. thing is your upbringing. That's where the seeds are set. That's where your behavioural patterns are learned. And, and, and that's, do you know what I, I, what I, what I found really strange is lately um, I read a lot of the, like, I, I see a lot of people posting their stories on Facebook and I see, like, a lot of people that I would have, known and I and they put up things and they and I might share a mem about domestic violence or something and I'm thinking, oh my God, like I would have never thought that no. you went through that. Yeah. So there's actually like there's not even a one size fits all in the type of woman that gets abused. Like you could be re- like I would have always thought I was an extremely strong person. And one of my biggest regrets that I live with is that I didn't fight back. Do you know, like I always say, like, why the, why, why, didn't you fight back? Do you know, you're well able, like yeah, you could yeah, have fought back. Yeah, but yeah. then you go into, like, it's it's not that easy. Like, it's so, it's such, like, domestic violence is such a complex situation. There's so many different triggers. There's so many different backgrounds. And I just, do you know, when I when I hear all the different stories, it's it's so heartbreaking to hear women tell their stories and still be so heartbroken. And can you imagine how difficult it must have been for people who are in that situation for a long time, gone through the last two years or two and a bit years of of lockdowns and restrictions of movements and all sorts of things that came with that? 
Oh, difficult oh, horrendous. Be. Horrendous, horrendous. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, yeah, don't, yeah, don't, uh, don't have any regrets because you're in a much better place now, isn't it true? Yeah, yeah. De- oh, definitely, definitely. And that's what I'm saying. I, like, with this therapy, I would probably still have a bucket of regrets. I know. Like, I would still be questioning my movements, my actions, who I was at the time. But with this therapy, I can see so much clearly now that it wasn't anything I could have prevented. It wasn't anything that I'd done wrong. And my only regret is that I didn't fight back, which is actually not a bad regret to have. Do you know, because I know that at the time I was just completely overtaken. But I know now that, you know, and that's that's what I that's why I wanted people to know that this there is therapies out there. And hopefully a lot more women will avail of that so that they stop doubting themselves oh, and well, stop listen, beating themselves let's, up. Let's just remind them again what worked for you. EMDR therapy EMDR, available through yeah. the HSC with a referral from your GP. Great to, ta- to yeah. chat with you, Gemma. Thanks for taking the time and best of luck to you all. No hassle. Thanks very much, Neil. Take care. You too. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And indeed, if you have a story to share, you can always email neil at redfm.ie. Just staying with our court system, I read a very interesting article of the weekend, actually, from the UK. It was a guy called Andrew McFarlane, Sir Andrew McFarlane. He happens to be the head of family courts in England and Wales. And he was talking about the divisiveness of marriage breakups resulting in divorce, saying that way too many uh, cases of families, you know, partners separating and going through divorce actually end up in court, wrongly ending up in court with one per- partner, really, when it boils down to it, suing the other, he said. And he said that those that do that, he says, those parents are fooling themselves if they think that their children are unaffected. He said that too many were ending up in court because couples saw their issue as a legal issue rather than a relationship issue. And he said that it's not a legal issue. It's a relationship problem that they're having that they need to sort. And doesn't necessarily mean that they would ever have to go to court. He said, we've seen at the moment, as we're seen, as in the courts, as the first port of call. But we should be the last resort for them. Where there aren't any issues of domestic abuse or protection or safeguarding, everything else can be sorted outside of court. He said that the hostile adversarial language used in family court often made things worse and that it needs to change. And he says that a lot of the time comparing the problem to the bit of divorce battles like that were made famous in the film Kramer versus Kramer and that it's not needed. Court cases are still listed as, say, Smith against Smith and barristers use terminology like my opponent or the applicant and the respondent. And he said a lot of it should be happening outside of court because it's um, certainly harming children is one of the points he made and lots of others besides that, you know, I, I guess that if it's, if it's down to financial aspects, you know, the house, the finances, the bank accounts, access to, to children and things like that, a lot of it doesn't need to go before a judge. Very interesting. Anyway, your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. And from yesterday, if I could just take a little bit of time, big response to the doubling of speeding fines for people who break the law while driving. Um, there were those that were suggesting and almost, I mean, I can, I can see the reasoning behind people saying, well, you know, hitting somebody in the pocket really where they can well afford the speeding fine won't work but if you give them double penalty points it might texters are saying there should be a zero tolerance on speeding it's simple don't speed 
and you won't get fined. Our roads are deadly. Um, actually, somebody else is wondering that these speed vans should not be termed speed vans. They should be called revenue vans. Increase in fines. I think the power has gone to their head. Asserting authority in her new job, Hildegard Nocton. It's a silly move, but then I guess it's a good revenue collector. And I suppose the coffers are low with the cost of Ukrainians being catered for, plus the cost of the pandemic. This is a money-making exercise. Uh, another one, driving in and out of Court Max Sherry, there's a speed van in operation every week. It's after catching lots of people. Another one saying that, actually, wasn't there a court case recently where it was established that speed vans have to be visible from a minimum distance? Not sure what the distance is, but it just can't appear in front of you. You have to be able to see them from a reasonable distance. Well, if you could see them from a reasonable distance and you slow down and they don't catch you, it makes their presence pointless, doesn't it? But they do just appear. I mean, often, you know, I come around a bend and literally it's just there in front of you. So you have no time to react. Some would say, well, if you weren't over the speed limit in the first place, you shouldn't give a damn about it. I got caught speeding on Saturday by a guard with a gun on the Mallow Road, leaving Blackpool just after the turn for Blarney on a blind corner. There he was with his speed gun. I'm going mad about it, but the more I think about it, it was probably the best thing that's happened to me because I'm very heavy footed. Heavy-footed, I love that term. Heavy-footed on the accelerator. Doubling fines will not stop people from speeding or using phones. It's another way to get as much as they can out of you. Someone has to pay for the 61 new speed vans and Ukrainians. Why in the name of God are Ukrainians being brought into refugees fleeing war, being brought into the issue of doubling speeding fines? What about tractor drivers? Every time I pass a tractor driver, they're on the goddamn mobile phone. Surely be to God, not every time. Would you give me a break? Okay, it's just a fast call this side of uh, 11 and lots more to do and lots of texts as well. Jim, good morning. Nate, how are you, boy? Okay, uh, this is on Bus Connect. Okay, your thoughts? Well, I, I just think that, you know, there's just so much out of being done in the city so far on the roads and narrowing the roads. We're already uh, creating bottlenecks in the city. Um, even if you try to get up the side of the Mercy now every afternoon if you're going home or during the day you can't get up the side of the Mercy because the, the city engineers have thrown everybody in there ambulances are having a problem there as well you know so the planning like we live in a live it's a living city it's a small living city where you know we're all 18th, 17th century roads and stuff we're not going to cure and as we start knocking down buildings and making wide roads, we're still going to end up yeah. with the old cock. That's right. And that's the you reason know? why for a long, 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 long time, because it's just what you described, a lot of the roads were one way because they just weren't wide enough to do two way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, look, you know, I suppose the, the, the end result is that we'll have no cars going into the city. That's what's going to happen, you know. Um, well, Bus Connect will go a long way to do that because it will involve taking away an awful lot of on-street parking, city and, and indeed suburbs, actually. So, so if you're on the north side and you usually would park in your driveway, if they take half your garden away, you're going to be parking on the road. So yeah, but, that, that's but not going to be very helpful. Go there, about 15 minutes saving from Nocturne. It's own, so it does, doesn't, the bus purely takes 15 minutes to get there. It's the bottlenecks are killing it. Like You go down by... Um, Buckley Sports there now and onto the bridge and should the bus men tell you they're stuck there for 20 minutes so no matter how much ground they take in Ocknahini you're still going into a bottleneck down in town so you're still going to be stuck there yeah. it's, not, it's not the roads are catching the buses at all it's, it's the lights are wrong you see you look at the opera house there you can spend ages there the lights are just not geared correctly we have no there's no forward thinking on that you well know? if you're caught on Carroll's Quay trying to get across the bridge good luck to you in, yeah, in drive time trap you'll be there you see, what could be there half the an hour just there, getting right? over that bridge yeah I mean there's going to be crashes there I'll say the opera house of what they've done there on the last two or three weeks widening the footpaths there and 
the two lanes are, you're, you're, everyone is left to their own devices at the moment it's really dangerous you know yeah, I know, but they're saying something has to change, that we need less cars and more people taking public transport and more people up well, on the rotter, you see. Absolute, that's absolutely, but at the same time, she needs to look at the city as well. We are, we're a living city. You can't go from the north side to the south side and show bloody 10 or 15 miles onto your trip. I mean, the, tomorrow morning, they'll be on the boat, the, the, the climate change, and this girl is sending us all around on an orbital route, you know. So certainly the bus, say you look to take the buses at the moment, you could be in Norway waiting for the bus. That would change, that's, though. That's the buses Samoyer, would be more... Know? Yeah, but there would be... I'm assuming they're going to continue to invest in more buses as well. But they'd be more regular, they'd be on time, and their their actual itinerary would be followed a lot more accurately. Well, do you, you, you think they fix what's there? No, of course. You know, you, 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 you fix what's there at the moment. There's no point coming up with a master plan and then 10 years' time figuring out it's going to fail. Do you think you it's... MacArthur Street. You can't even pull a van in there to get a delivery. You see the delivery guys. We've made criminals out of every one of them. They have to bunk the footpath. There's no thought for it, like. It's like, it's just like she's hell-bent on her plan. And consultation, forget about that. All you're going to do is submit your submission and it's going to be thrown in the bin. You know, she's not going to look at it. That's just to give, rub you in the back of the head to say, yeah, we put it out and done what we're supposed to do legally. But no one's reading it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, there is a consultation. Well, the, the north side one was uh, Monday and Tuesday. Today and tomorrow, it's for a lot of areas on the south side. Um, you, you didn't go to Silver Springs, did you? No. No, no. But she could be thrown in the bin, Neil. I asked, I asked the city manager to appear in court with me there uh, last month. She wouldn't come in with me. Why was that? What, what did you want um, her in there for? No, we, 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 do, we do maintenance in this city and we can't, we can't get in between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. And uh, I asked her for her engineer's report of what our health and safety plan was. I asked her, did she contact all the businesses in town to inform them that they are not insured between 3 o'clock and half past 6? We can't service their buildings. Have they informed their insurance company? She wouldn't answer that. I asked her, what the city workers, the corporation workers, trained to go into buildings when the construction workers can't get in there? Between three and six, she wouldn't answer that and she wouldn't turn up in court to answer the question. Yeah, so there's that aspect and also you're talking about loading bays, delivery drivers, well, van yeah. drivers, trying to keep the city living and breathing. Yeah, yeah I mean, working guys and have open. to walk and guys have got to get in there. But she's listening to no one. She does that. Just, oh, there's consultation. For I asked to have a, a chat or she wouldn't do it in front of a judge. Yeah, so what, that... What that, chance that, that, for Len Douglas and Ocknahini? He's none. Yeah, this there is the... There will be railroaded into this without looking at solutions. You don't need to wreck the city for this. It's a 600 million euro f- uh, bill for this. Do you not think that money could be better spent in emergency times like we're living in now? It's a, it's a lot of money, but so look, this isn't, this isn't the first time that Dublin decided for a plan for Cork and threw a big figure on it not happened. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks for that, Jim. Incidentally, today at Nemo Rangers GAA Club, this afternoon from 2 o'clock until 7, and again tomorrow at Nemo Rangers GAA Club from 9 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon. Public consultation for areas including Toker to the city, the airport road to the city, Maryborough Hill to the city, Mahan to the city and Kinsale Road to Douglas. So, and a lot, a lot of, of the housing estates in between all of those different areas will be impacted as well. Don't get me wrong. And also this afternoon will be, that will include the Mangala and the changes and the road over the top of the Mangala and taking out half of the woodlands as well. So that's Nemo Rangers today, uh, 2 to 7, and tomorrow, 9 in the morning to 2 p.m. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive.
This is the Neil Frienderville Show. All right, a little bit of housekeeping for you. It's day three in our giveaways for the Douglas Food Court at Douglas Court Shopping Centre. Fabulous prices. These hampers, when they're all added up, uh, come in at around €350 Euro worth of goodies. From Garden Goodness, the Good Fish Company, the Butcher's Block and Hassett's Bakery. So, uh, you don't necessarily need sunshine of a bit of a barbecue. You'll be hosting the mosting of a barbecue if you win this prize because Garden Goodness will give you all of the fruit and the vegetables and the strawberries and the raspberries and the new spots and all sorts of stuff like that. The Good Fish Company will sort you out for all sorts of uh, sustainably sourced Irish fish. The Butcher's Block then for premium meats and you'll be sorted with steaks and burgers and what have you. And Hassets, of course, for the afters, the dessert, wherever you're having yourself. Beautiful, beautiful cakes and pies and quiches and apparently their very famous sausage roll. And I really am a sucker for a sausage roll. I absolutely love them. Uh, the more, the merrier, says I. But that's uh, right across this week. For the best call, text or email every single day. We had some lot of fun with it yesterday regarding people's uh, driving test experiences. I'll have some more of those texts and perhaps calls this side of midday. And finally, just for now, let me just remind you, we have more family pass giveaways to give away today for some of the most wonderful tourist attractions right across the county. And a good way to uh, explore Cork is with the Explore Cork app. And on that app, there are 850 places to see and things to do around Cork across the summer. And we've given away so many so far and lots more to do. Today, we're featuring Skibbereen Heritage Centre. Now, there are two primary exhibitions down there. One is The Great Famine, The Great Hunger. And the second is uh, a, an exhibition on Loch Ayn. Uh, and Loch Ayn is one of the most beautiful places to visit. In fact, you could do two on the same day. But the Heritage Centre, for me, is incredible with regards to the Great Famine, the Great Hunger. Uh, and any time I've been down there, uh, there's and there's wonderful guided tours also. Never mind all of the fact that uh, it's audio-visual as well as everything else, and you can you know, do your own tour or get one of the guided tours of the centre itself. And it's going from strength to strength. So we have four family passes to give away this side of midday for Skibbereen Heritage Centre as you head down west. For all of the business, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And can I go back to a story I dealt with earlier on? He's talking about the hundreds of pieces of luggage that they continue to lose up in Dublin Airport, that everything is going through Dublin Airport. Pat Dawson was quoted in the Echo this morning that saying that 85% of the flying capacity is going through one airport. And that's all wrong. And it's about time that the DAA, which controls and manages Cork and Dublin airports, start sharing the love. I absolutely hate flying in and out of Dublin. I really do. I would love to be just going in and out of anywhere I wanted to go through Cork. There's nothing worse than coming back into Dublin airport late at night, say in the middle of winter, it's even worse. And you're trying to get to your car in a car park that's kilometers away from you. You're queuing for a bus. Or it's just an awful end to a holiday. But that's the way it is. He says it needs to change. I don't know whether it'll ever happen anytime soon, but he joins me by phone. Pat Dawson of the ITAA. Morning, Pat. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. It makes perfect sense. Um, uh, but will it ever happen, though, that we get more of our fair share of flights? I think it, uh, I think it will. And I think the, you know, the, the, the experiences that we've had 
uh, with Dublin Airport, which is uh, improving uh, daily, I believe. I think that has shone a light on, on the fact of the the disproportionate uh, capacities that uh, that are out of out of Dublin and out of uh, Shannon Cork and Knock. And certainly, I, I think the powers of be will have to have a serious look at that because I think the the, the public are, are are demanding it, and we're all talking about you know saving fuel and not driving cars or whatever else. And I mean to say, you know, as you know and I know, a, a trip to Dublin from Cork to Dublin Airport uh, is not two and a half hours. It's like four, four hours and. Uh, depending on the M50, if there's no pile up there, and certainly I know many, many people, and I do it myself, if I'm going transatlantic, I, I go up the night before for fear of getting caught yeah. in traffic. Well, the story so, this morning of somebody who was going to get a go bus at one in the morning and even felt for a half a flight that wouldn't have been good enough, so they ended up getting a drive up instead earlier. It was so, that, And then technically you'd be hanging around the airport for four hours, maybe five hours inside. Maybe they want you in there spending money, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, it does. I mean, it does. Uh, tra- travel is is stressful enough, and particularly if you're going long haul and all the rest of it. And the last thing you want is, is you know, a bad experience or delays or having to travel up early in the morning. Well, I mean, it's just it's just third world stuff, to be honest with you. To be, uh, you know, in an airport at two or three in the morning or whatever. And and people, I mean, it, it's 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 bad. I suppose people got terrorised in the sense would would experience on the 29th of May, uh, where they were there two far too early and that caused a major problem but look at I mean we have to be positive in, in this business and certainly that has improved this weekend the August weekend uh, will be a, a big test of it and I, hopefully um, it, it, it'll, uh, it'll happen and, and yeah, people won't be discommoded No I know that but you're quoted and I'm assuming that it's accurate that Dublin Airport has 300 flights a day flying out yes. and Cork would be doing well if it had 30 to 35 flights a day so that's an incredible. That's a crazy imbalance, as you put it yourself. Like it's like because if Cork had more, it wouldn't be just people from Cork, but Kerry, Waterford, perhaps Limerick, certainly Tipperary would all use Cork Airport, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would, and I think Cork figure now with a couple of new routes is probably up around the forty mark. But irrespective of that, be it forty or twenty nine or thirty or whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference. It's a, it's over, it's over eighty five percent of the capacity, and that is all wrong for all sorts of reasons. Not alone for people going on on, on foreign holidays, but uh, tourism uh, coming into Ireland. And I mean, Cork needs tourism. Kerry does as well, and all the rest of it. Yes, we have Shannon with four or five routes uh, to the USA, and all the rest. But I don't know what the long-term plans for Cork with the USA route, but I mean that they have to have a runway that will take a full capacity of an aircraft and not uh, what we had before where the aircraft capacity was reduced and that's uneconomical. But I mean, certainly, I mean, uh, look, in a logical way, in a logical way, I mean, there are great incentives from airports for, for airlines to use their airports. And I'd be saying to the DA, by the way, look at, you know, don't, there's no need to give anyone much money to fly out of Dublin as they all want to fly out of Dublin and maybe uh, put that money down to Cork and increase the incentives because there are great incentives. I know I spoke to the management out there and, and the people who are at the, at the front edge of it and uh, uh, they have great incentives for, for airlines but I mean to say we, we still haven't caught up with a, with a sort of a, a fair and reasonable balance so as what, I said yesterday. So why are they dragging their feet on, on this um, this dispute? Disparity between the well, two airports. It, like, it, does it all come down well, to can, money or protecting, protecting turnover? 
Well, yeah, but you can, you, you know, the, the airlines are, are, are the bosses here, you know, in many, many ways. And I mean, I don't know what uh, what way is negotiated, whether the DA people in Dublin negotiate Dublin, the Cork people uh, negotiate Cork, or if an air, a big airline, which is now the dominant airline in Cork, Ryanair, if they if they take the two airports together and say, I, if you do, if I do this, I'll give you X, and if I do this, I'll give you Y. I don't know the dynamics. Ah, what you're that. saying is it could actually be down to the airlines who don't want, who possibly don't want any more flights out of the likes of Cork, is it? Well, well, uh, the the airlines want want to be certain that they will fill their routes, and they're, they're, I mean they're costed at eighty five percent capacity load factor as such. So certainly the airlines have a huge part because they're they're the boss. I mean they they can they can decide. I mean uh, you know I, I mean I know uh, like small airports around Europe and uh, they had one airline and they decided look to move out and the airports closed. Admittedly they were small and the capital city of any any country is always like the the London and the Heathrow's yeah. uh, it's all sort of you know forced in line for the business and so be it I suppose not much you can do about that but yet then the story earlier this morning was of somebody who flew out of Dublin to Mallorca um, why, why wouldn't they be flying Cork Mallorca like I mean is it are, are the flights cheaper out of Dublin perhaps uh, they, they, they may be, but I would probably suggest that 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 Cork with 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 the lower capacity it fills fills up quicker. Oh, and there are, of course, I, there are flights, but they're full. Yeah. Yeah, they're full. Yeah, they're full, and 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 certainly, I know people uh, people that have to go, you know, to Dublin because Cork is full. Or or I mean, or if 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 need if a flight is nearly full, you'll be paying. You know, if it's like ninety percent full, the, the airfare to to the Spain to this world of Portugal will probably be five or six hundred. That's euro true. Yeah, many of us have been caught with that bit late bookings now, and huge money. Yeah, but and, that's and, that's and only, what, yeah, that's commerce. Like hotels do the yeah. same. Yes. Yes, and, and you can't blame anybody anybody for that. But I mean, well, I would the blame them, Pat. To be honest with you, I think it's gouging. You know, I do. Yeah, I think it is. But it's, you're in, you know, it's, it's the commercial world or whatever else, and and that. And I mean, I I totally disagree with this thing of. I mean, I've checked it out. This from nine ninety nine fare, and I've 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 done done five or ten pages on the internet, and I found one in probably a thousand flights, and that gets you across sort of a, a false advertising. Yeah, or whatever, yeah. and that that should be stopped because it's just a, a noise people to, to know him. Are you aware at all of um, Ryanair baggage issues? Earlier in the week, we had an awful lot of calls from people coming back. They had no real problems going out with what they were taking, but coming back, they were getting all, sort of, all sorts of hassle from Ryanair for extra charges for baggages and small bags and children's bum bags and everything. Truthfully, no. Uh, truthfully, no. And I've flown with Ryanair and uh, back a couple of months ago, and all the rest of it. So no, I did. I, truthfully, I, I haven't heard, and I haven't heard it from from any of um, any of our Cork agents and so forth and so on. I, I'll actually check it out. But no, I don't know what that would be. Maybe uh, overweight or whatever else, or, or maybe too many baggage. No, well, many of them was that, a, that one. Of, many of them was that a ten kg bag going out was perfectly acceptable. But the same bag com- bag coming back, they were looking for forty five euro. Insane stuff like that. I know that, well, you know, that shouldn't be. Now, whether there's another story behind that, but normally look at what, what, what the rule of, of flying from, from Cork or flying to Mallorca or vice versa uh, is the same, but, but there's something behind that, Neil. I, 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 you know, normally that does not happen. Okay, and what are numbers like anyway with regards to people going overseas and sun holidays? From what we can see, and also the grief up at Dublin Airport, it means it must be people are desperate to get on a plane. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very full. And I was checking just yesterday. I mean, uh, one thing that there is a difference is, and, and we have some very late flights out of, out of Cork to the likes of Malaga and Aer Lingus, I think in particular, they're now basing aircraft uh, in, in, in the likes of Malaga or Faro. And, and the problem with that is that the flight then uh, leaves Cork at 20, 9 o'clock p.m. And, and it doesn't get there it's late but I've noticed like that those flights that are bad timing for want of a better word uh, there's great fares on those mm. but the ones with the decent timings are full yeah so, so the, the, you know, the, people, the cheap ones are the ones you get in in the early hours of the morning yeah, kind of thing yeah exactly and that's where you will get value but certainly you know there there, there is value but in the sense of what we'll, we'll call a normal airfare to to to, uh, to two and a half hour flight 250 300 euros that is the normal. I mean, they're there sort of, you know, end of August, September, October, but certainly for the next uh, three or four four weeks, uh, it's chock-a-block. Yeah, uh, and I see your, I see your stats there. actually from travel agents, part of the ITAA, saying that they're 55% up pre-COVID. Well, well, we're in, in the sense that, from a from a business point of view, yeah, we are. And I mean, I mean, the thing about it is, uh, from a point of view, and of course, I would say this: uh, with a travel agent, you can talk to a human being. I mean, I, I don't know dealing with banks or dealing with insurance companies that go on hold for fifteen or twenty minutes and all this stuff. But at least uh, you have a human being, and we look after you, and your money's safe. We've always said that, and certainly with after the pandemic, it has done us a lot of bad financially but from a point of view of people uh, using travel agents it has done us a lot of good Okay my man thanks for taking the call covered a lot of ground Pat Dawson Dawson Travel and Chair of the ITAA Lines open text 0868 104 106 I want to just pick up after the break with the flight that came in to Cork yesterday with some very very much loved Corkonians Back on Lee side, uh, Bernice after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Back into last week, we were chatting Bernice with Bernice, who in the past has been sending the most colossal hampers to Australia. We had some great fun with those hampers, I can tell you. The amount of stuff she was sending out there to her daughter, Michelle. Well, Michelle came back from Australia, arrived into Cork Airport Monday morning. They shared the video of her coming through arrivals and all of the family they're waiting for. The big talk last week with Bernice was whether or not she'd decorate the house for Christmas and have a big Christmas dinner. Anyway, the family got reunited yesterday morning and uh, not only did Michelle come home, but uh, her kids did as well. Noah's five and Mia is nearly eight years old and Bernice and the family were delighted to see them. Bernice, good morning. So they're back in your arms again and you sent me photographs of the interior of the house and you <laughs> you have decorated it for Christmas. <laughs> I did, two, two Christmas trees. Yeah, where did you get that big, huge, silvery thing? My niece, Nicola, Nicola O'Connell, brought that up to me. <laughs> she actually brought up the very pyjamas. It was a neat pyjamas for each of them that night. Christmas pyjamas? Yeah. <laughs> you have all the mantelpiece done. You have the, the the table. I don't know. It's the kitchen or the front room with um, the front room, the dinner plates. with with the, with the Grinch tablecloth. Yeah, the Grinch <laughs> and the serviette, the serviettes. Christmas serviettes. Christmas serviettes. Christmas candles. Santa stop here signs. Jingle bells. Yeah, and we we did everything. So, how did everything. she react when she walked through the front door and saw all that? 
when she told me I was mad. <laughs> Should we all know that? <laughs> and, and the swab says, no, 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 we have a Christmas there as well. <laughs> have the two kids got Australian accents? Yeah, yeah, they have. Were they, they born have, and rare they? there, were they? Oh, they are, yeah. Mia was born, she was six years. <laughs> I don't know, my brain has gone from them. <laughs> uh, she was born in August the 16th over there and the swab was born in January. Oh, my God, it was great. What? I have fourteen. I have fourteen grandchildren and two great grandchildren. Can you name all of those fourteen and the two great grandchildren as well? I can. <laughs> Kelvin is the first. Oh, Rebecca. I didn't mean that you had to list. Go on anyway. Let's see if we can do the Lauren, sixteen. Three. Kai. Four. Um, Mia. Five. Noah. Six. Connor. Seven. Quiva. Eight. Um. <laughs> Coda. Nine. Coda. Nine. Uh, I said it's a colour, didn't I? You did. Um, <laughs> I was between England. Teal is a great teal, one of the great grandchildren. Ten. Um, he's six to go. <laughs> six to go, Jesus. Oh, um, Josh. Josh is actually living with me. Eleven. <laughs> Jesus, that portrait, his nose is all the joy. Josh, because he actually has a nose. He's, he's really the other fella. Just believe it. have been better off writing yeah. them down. Oh, Katie. Twelve. Katie. Twelve. Um. <laughs> she's nice. <laughs> Tom, Tommy's been in England. Thirteen. And Tara. Fourteen. And the grand, great grandchildren? He's <laughs> Tio. I think we named him already. Are there two? Are there he two? Th- Alright, that's okay. And you're missing one poor child. <laughs> I know, I'm missing the front and the fellow and he's called John. All right, well done, 14. Yeah, yeah, so all of them. And they all get breath, Neil, and they all get breath to cards, and they all get Christmas. Ah, oh, Granny would never let him down. And what's the story now at Christmas dinner? No, Paddy O'Connell is born in the 99, and I told you after the call us in the 99. <laughs> he's actually going to, he's going to Banner this Friday for a week. Banner? And then he come back, and he's done the whole Christmas dinner in the house. Who's Paddy God O'Connell going to Banner? Why is he doing the Christmas dinner? He's my brother and he's the cook, so he's going to start the whole other So is that like turkey, ham, spiced beef? Um, yeah. Everything that goes in that parcel will be on that, on that right now, that day. <laughs> Everything. I'll be even going to McDonald's to get the sachet. <laughs> the okay. that goes in the ham, going to be on the table so, that day. What day is Christmas dinner day? Well, Teddy's coming back for the week. So we're going to hope to have it on this Sunday or the Monday. All right, okay. Sunday would be and good, wouldn't it? Sunday would be actually a good day. Yeah, and where's he yeah. gone? Is he gone to ban on holidays, is it? He's going this Friday. Coming. The big problem at the days. moment now is the selection boxes. I know, we never got them. Yeah, I but, think I, I, think I managed to find one. I mean, they actually to um, to make his homies and they had none. <laughs> and what, so what I bought was you know the sweets you get in the cartons years ago when we were younger? The jellies, the roundie. Oh, I do, the tubs, yeah. yeah. The tubs. Yeah. I actually bought, I know, eight of them off them in there. They were actually all on the table in the cinema as well. You can get Smarties and pastilles and mini Rolos in those tall tubs, those kind of things. And then, there was so much rubbish, I called sweet rubbish, like there was so much rubbish, then she says, we're not, she doesn't have rubbish at all. I know, but and we... And then she says, we do things, we start at eight o'clock in the morning. I said, Michelle, we're going to eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Or children get up at five o'clock, Neil. <laughs> That's so the entertainment has to start then. Is that because of the time difference from Australia? It's like they know she's getting used to the time difference as well. <laughs> now she's after booking Killarney from me, fuel for, for my, her dad to me. Right. Her other sister's going. 
Monday, 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 Tuesday. But you know all the list of tourist attractions I have. Go and check out if she'd like a pass for the family to go to one of the places that I have, you know? Yeah, we will take him because she's using it. I mean, his farm. Yeah. She's now tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if they... Yeah, if they... I mean, they would, sure well, listen, she's got wheels under her. She could go anywhere. So she have, yeah, and then we have a wheel car so we could follow her on in, the, in our car then as well. Perfect. So well, we I'll tell you what, I, in a second I'll put you back on hold and Claire can go through the list with you. Pick something nice for Michelle and the kids to go and see in our beautiful, beautiful city. I'd love... I'd love you could throw me a one in 350 euro boat just like those, those good you have no, Do you know something? Months. You have absolutely no shame, you know? There is nothing you I won't... I know I no shame. I haven't. There is nothing you won't ask for. Please, but you'll at least buy you for that one. The last week, buy you. You really came up to the house and you need more gay flowers. <laughs> I and did. So much. <laughs> I said to her, I can't stop crying because you don't know, Neil. I actually said to the other daughter because the daughter lives to me. Like, even though I, I have four daughters and four sons. <laughs> I'm looking at her, it's not like green. Like, I'm looking at her, she, her, her divide together. As I said, I was like, to me, she said, Grace, Grace has got to listen to me. And Michelle was at the bed and I said, it's not, it's not like green that she's sitting there. I know. And I said, look at that, the two, the two boys, like, and, well, the one boy lives there. And I said, and look at Mia, we have long hair down her back, and I was plaiting her hair there yesterday morning, and I said, it doesn't seem relieved to me that I'm just sitting there plaiting her hair. All the way there. from Australia, I know. And I don't you know, mean she's ever going to be home again. I don't, like, I mean, I'm 62 and her dad is 72. Do you know, we know you're never going to see her again because, as you know, the expense. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I mean, the, you mean the expense of you travelling out for a few weeks, kind of thing. But you know, like me, I never ever want to play because I hate playing. But for some reason, I just got into my head. I need, I need, I wanted to fear. And she actually wanted to pay for me to go. She knew health reasons. I, I wouldn't have been left on the plane. And I did honest. I then she decided that she was going to come. That's all I came about. I know, but I she wish you would. I know. Listen, I know, but. Th- Try and put those thoughts out of your head while they're here. Yeah, you know? no, it's going to be happy thoughts. I'm looking at her because, you know, we look at her and you're saying, she's she really there, like... We, yeah, you know, but you're, you're almost like, saying to me, I may, I'll never see my daughter and grandchildren again. That's I sad, know, like... You know, it's like, I'd say, the way I was feeling, put up the Christmas tree and doing all this. <laughs> then Monday, like, we came back to the... I'm a hard case. We came back to the airport Monday. And one of my sisters was out in the kitchen cooking pounds and pounds of sausages and rashers and sit <laughs> no. She said she never saw much bread coming because she said, when they came in the door, the name the name was there, like, she said, anybody came in the door, she said, came my bread, a corned beef, because I didn't buy that cut corned beef up in cans. So people were coming to corned beef or cans shop, doing corned beef. And that was the bread, I said, you know. Corned beef sandwiches, sausages and rashers and black and white pudding. Rashers and eggs and black and white pudding, oh, everything. Oh, stop, they, you're making me they, hungry. They, every other, my sister's on that bed, she can't eat, she cooked all that. <laughs> Making me hungry. I, I got to, I'm going to try again for another few selection boxes. You never know who might be listening. There's the Christmas selection boxes in a storeroom somewhere. You know. Mm, I'm telling you. And did you say I'm not ashamed? That's right. Why not? I'm not ashamed. You're not. You're very good and fair. Only you are very good to me. Fairness. You're putting me. You're putting me in a very embarrassing situation now. I know. I didn't think she was coming. So I swear to God, I was saying, "Where is she? Where is she?" Every two seconds, we were jumping. Next time I saw someone's child coming out, even though you'll be eventually. If I give you a hamper of 350 euro worth, so where in the name of God are you even going to put it? The house is just chock a block as it is. But don't mind me, where we leave. I'm on one road, my sister's in the next road, my brother's in the next road. Have you a barbecue? Have you a barbecue? We actually haven't. Oh, for God's sake, woman, why not? 
Has anyone up in the park a barbecue? One of them would have one, but ain't the names of barbecue. All right, OK. Well, on the basis that you come back to me before midday, having agreed that somebody has a barbecue, because a lot of this food that I'd be giving you in the hamper... Linda is Carney, from... have one. She's my niece. Who? Linda Carney. OK, so She's Linda niece, Carney cool. then will either bring the barbecue to you or all of you and Michelle and all the Australians will go to Linda's and I'll send you a hamper, but it's for barbecuing, right? Well, I'll get Paddy's food out of my back. Okay, well, on that basis, I want photographs and evidence that all the family got together and enjoyed it. Don't worry, you get on the photograph. All right, okay. All right, I'll get you you sorted then because it's lovely to have her home. God knows, as you say, whenever you see them again. So that'll be a great get. And I want want some updates as well on the Christmas dinner for Sunday week, all right? All right, girl, okay, all right. Talk to you later. Stay in touch. All right, cheers, Bernice. Take care for now. Garden Goodness are giving us uh, loads of beautiful fresh fruit and vegetable, the Good Fish Company, the fish, the butcher's block, all of the beautiful meats and barbecue uh, sausages and, imagine, burgers and all sorts of things and hassets then for all the desserts and afters. So that's a lovely thing to do, I suppose. All we're short is the barbecue, but that'll be sorted too. Okay, get done. And listen, if you do have snack box or something, where should I get it's food, snack box. It's today Tuesday. We get a two for one inside in Hillbillies. Damn it, it's Wednesday. No, not snack boxes, selection boxes. If only has anybody might have them buried away there, we could do it half a dozen half a dozen of those two. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. Okay, on transport related issues, the speed fines and phone, etc. is bad enough, but the extra large cost of the insurance companies that put extra on your premium for points plus the double fine um, is going to be way above the 160 for the final loan. The point being Jimmy's making that it'll also impact on your insurance renewal. If you're spending all your time concentrating on what speed you're doing, looking at your clock, looking for signs to see what speed you'd be doing, you're not giving 100% concentration to what's in front of you. So I think all the speed vans are just a money racket. It's about how quick you can stop your car in an emergency with good driver reflex. That's the key. Full stop, not speed. Morning. Speed vans are a money racket, nothing else. Another tax to cripple the the working person. Just when you thought these criminals in suits couldn't turn the screw on the taxpayer anymore, they come up with another heinous plan to increase fines by 100%. It seems our government fat cat politicians with pockets deeper than the Atlantic Ocean will stop at nothing until they have the working class on their knees. Another one here, just to let you know as you're talking to a driving instructor, uh, on Friday my daughter's friend went for her test and they failed her even before she got into the car because her L plates were faded probably due to the sun. You should highlight this. It costs enough as it is. Uh, Morning. 80 euro 20 years ago is the same as 80 euro today. Wages have not increased in 20 years. Obviously, your driving instructor, uh, one or two more. Obviously, this driving instructor is going to profit in some way or form uh, from why he's agreeing with the 80% increase. Uh, No, I don't think so. I mean, driving instructors will just continue to do what they do, teach people how to drive. It's when it gets to the test uh, section, that's when it's out of their hands. If you're caught using your phone while driving, the guard should have the power to confiscate your phone for seven days. That will soon put a stop to people's gallop. Um, You say that speeding is a money racket? Well, they brought all the new speed vans and could only rent the Garda cars. So which one brings in all of the money? Uh, One more here for now. The biggest problem with war on speed is that it forces people to drive under 20 kilometres under the speed limit and is frustrating people. 
particularly on 100-kilometre roads, driving bumper to bumper. I'm always stuck behind a big line of traffic going from Yall to Middleton every day. And on the rare occasion people go up to the speed limit, it's actually safer um, because everyone has a respectful gap between each other. As in, drive as fast as you can under the speed limit and everything will be fine. It's the ones that are driving 20 and 30 and messing it up for everybody else. That's what the texter is saying. Uh, It's all about making money, says Anthony. The country's in massive debt. Speed vans have to pay for themselves. And fair enough, where speed is high and mobile phones are being used, motorists should be hammered. But I'm looking at one of, well, I'm, I'm looking at one most days, as in a speed van, parked in a 50 kilometre zone, shooting fish in a barrel. Thank you for those. And there's reams of them. I'll come back to them again. I want to stay with travelling matters, actually, because I know when I was away, McMull was chatting with Jack O'Connell and another bunch of lads. I know that Doc Martin, actually, a good buddy of mine, used to work on this programme. He actually did the Mongol rally uh, a few years back when before COVID when you can do that. I think COVID changed all of that. But the lads were updating with Mick while I was away uh, on their travels across Europe. And I just wanted to catch up with them and see how things went because they they didn't actually manage to get to finish the rally because a lot of borders were closed for for different reasons. But Jack joins me by phone. Jack, good morning. Hey, Neil, how are things? I'm good, my man. Where are you guys right now? We are currently somewhere between Dubrovnik and Split in Croatia. Where exactly, I couldn't tell you, but somewhere it's nice anyway and you're driving a zero zero reg nissan micra right that's it yeah 22 year old nissan micra and how's it behaving absolutely perfectly every day it's like a swiss watch you just you know turn it on it um gave one bit of trouble around antwerp with the immobilizer but we had a spare part to swap it out so we were stopped for about 20 minutes at the service station and since then absolutely perfect it um it got a slight, the engine got a slight bit hot on Sunday. We were driving for 19 and a half hours and 1,300 kilometres from Georgia the whole way across Turkey to Istanbul. But uh, yeah, it was absolutely fine. So is that like 19 well. hours in a 22-year-old micro? Is that water-cooled or air-cooled or what? Oh, yeah, water-cooled, yeah, yeah. So there's no wonder it gets hot. Like, Isn't it amazing, yeah. though? That Like, do you have to bring, yeah. did you bring loads of spares for, you know, to anticipate all sorts of problems? We bought just kind of a few small electrical spares, anything that fitted in the spare wheel well, really, to be honest with you. We kind of uh, decided we'd underprepare and sure see what happens, really. Uh, but it's, so far, it's worked out, thankfully. And is it three of you in the micro? Three of us, yeah. Three big fellas all over 100 kilos anyway, so you can imagine the weight inside it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 100 kilos, that's big enough. And so you, so yeah. there's three of you, that's 300 kilos of men, and luggage yeah. and luggage and food and everything. We, yeah, well, yeah, we worked it out kind of on the way and with the micro specs, we're about 15 kilos under the maximum gross weight of the <laughs> car. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's going up the hills, it's, it's a bit under pressure. You can imagine on the German autobahn when we're doing about 100 kilometers and things are passing us at 160 or more. It was, uh, it was interesting. It's amazing you didn't blow right. the suspension. We yeah we changed it. I, we've it raised up and stuff. So there's Lexus suspension in the back and there's a lifting block in the front. So uh, <laughs> it sits normally when we're in it now, uh, as opposed to being on the ground if it had the normal suspension. And you, uh, clearly, on a 19-hour stretch, you, you share the drive, right? Um, I did a thousand kilometres of that um, for the most part, and then Tommy took over for the last kind of three and a half hours into Istanbul. Um, but yeah, I was kind of adamant that I really wanted to just get the, the thousand kilometres in one go. 
um, and I'm kind of happy Tommy took over because the traffic and driving around this Bull is absolutely insane. Yeah, does, does Jack share the drive at all? Myself, I'm doing it myself. No, uh, sorry, yeah, so sorry we, there's Jack, Tommy, and who's the third character? Is he driving all? Uh, who's MJ, the- MJ as well, yeah. So we do it kind of a, like on a day rotation. So uh, it, let's say today I'm driving, Tommy will be in the passenger seat, MJ in the back, and then tomorrow Tommy will drive, I'll go in the back, MJ in the passenger seat, then we kind of rotate okay. it around like that. And do you know the list of countries you've been through so far? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose Wales, England, France, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, uh, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Bulgaria, Serbia, Turkey, Georgia, and Greece. And then yesterday we went from Greece, Albania, North Macedonia, to Montenegro, to Bosnia, and then went to Croatia. And today we'll be finishing up in Slovenia, and when we finish there, we'll actually have just hit 10,000 kilometres, and then tomorrow Italy, Switzerland, France. England, Wales, and back to Ireland. Wait, when Sunday. did she head off, Jack? On the Monday, Monday two weeks ago, was it okay. the 11th okay. of did July? The, did the Mongol rally, it didn't It didn't actually happen, did it? So they've changed it this year. They've called it the Poles of Inconvenience. So you're just going to drive into random crazy places. But because Turkmenistan have closed their borders and Azerbaijan have, it's fairly hard. It's, it's nearly impossible to get to the kind of Central Asia countries to actually yeah. get to... Um, to get to Mongolia and as well once you get there you have to enter Russia twice so that's obviously not possible at the moment either yeah, so, so they, yeah, 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 yeah they put yeah. the finish line at Tbilisi Georgia so we got there it was in an old Soviet car museum in Tbilisi and uh, that was it we stayed in Batumi drove six hours across to Tbilisi got to the finish line turned around drove straight back to Batumi again that day uh, you're probably a dab hand on the cost of a litre of petrol all the way along there are you I mean do you ever like, calc- <laughs> like what, what, what are you paying where's cheap and where's not the cheapest we got, I think, was um, I think it was Hungary. Yeah, I think we got it for around one fifty, um, and the most expensive we paid was nearly two fifty on a German motorway. But that being said, it was two fifty on a German motorway, but it was also one eighty, about ten miles up the road. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. One fifty, uh, one fifty by comparison to our two hundred three and two hundred four. It's a big old yeah. saving. Do you, I mean, have you total dump how much petrol you'll burn? In terms of cost, we've worked it out at probably around thirteen, fourteen hundred euros. So today we've seven hours driving, and we'll probably use two tanks in that. Yeah, but I'd say a micro um, would go on the sniff tank. of it. Like the micro would go on the sniff of petrol, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, when it's an old lady driving it to the shop, when there's three big lads uh, flatlining it the whole way up hills and everything in Europe, it uses a small bit more. Right? All right. So you started at a hundred kilo, a man. You'll probably come back heavier. What are you doing for food? Oh. Um, to be fair, we've been all right. So on the long drives, we've actually just kind of stopped in services and, you know, just eating crisps or whatever bit of a sandwich they have. The drive from the whole way across Turkey was torture because we didn't really eat at all. So we were pretty starved. Um, said we got like there was some place that just did like a burger on the side of the motorway. So, um, but yeah, we're kind of eating all right, thankfully enough. But what, burgers and sandwiches are, in, in service stations? I don't think <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> well, well, once a day, but I tell you now, at the moment in Croatia, it's what, 30, it was 38 degrees Celsius yesterday at 80% humidity. So oh, they were losing a lot of it there oh, now straight away. What do you miss then about, like, do you miss particular foods or what do you miss from home? Oh, driving a car with a bit of power in it really <laughs> you know when you go to overtake a truck in the motorway you know you can do it 
and and the cold weather at this stage. <laughs> would you prefer a bit of cold weather? You would. Oh, I, I'd love it. I'm a. I love the cold right now. I'm not a man for the hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're on the return leg then. This, yes. this, I know that all of these trips, because Doc did it. He did the actual Mongol rally when you could do it. Yeah. You know, the ch- before it changed for you guys, but he yeah. did it for charity. Is it the same with you guys? Yeah. So we like to enter. You actually have to give like part of the entry condition is five hundred towards charity, which is their set charity for the Ukraine crisis appeal. So we have covered that. But we're also now raising money for Marymount Hospice and the Irish Cancer Society. Um, and we're just under four and a half thousand euros at the moment. Good man. Um, and my work said once we're finished, they're actually going to double it. Um, so it'll be a great, great... Uh, so whatever you raise, Logitech will double that. Are you still looking for people to contribute if they can? Oh, yeah, if they can, they'll be absolutely fantastic. There's a link like on our bio on Instagram on Team Tree Best Buds. Um, or on Facebook and stuff, and it goes straight to the GoFundMe there as well. But yeah, if they can, be absolutely fantastic. That's um, that's three it. best spuds as opposed to three best buds, buds isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. I say you'd miss a few spuds now, would you? Jeez, I wouldn't mind it now at this stage, all right, to be honest. We've had uh, we've had some funky food along the way, all right. And, and I, so. could talk to, I could talk to you all day, I won't keep you much longer now, but yeah. of all of the you're places sorry. that you went, like right now at the moment you're in, you're between Split and Dubrovnik down yeah. the Adriatic coast, which I hear is absolutely a glorious place to go on holidays. Where have the standout Unreal. places been? Um, Cappadocia and Turkey, if anyone get the opportunity to go there. Absolutely, 100%. Um, again, I've never been to Croatia before, but Dubrovnik, uh, we're going to look up if there are still flights from Cork because I may be coming at a colder time of the year, but it's absolutely amazing. The I whole hear coast. that, yeah. Um, and the one we didn't expect was Albania. Um, so we didn't know what to really expect going there, but it is fantastic. Yeah. Such a beautiful country. I hear that, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's incredible the opportunity you took just to take time out and do this. I mean, you'll never forget this yeah. experience. You never will. Oh, no, definitely not, definitely not. All right, listen, let me get people to go and check out your Instagram page if they'd like to get involved. Team 3 Best Spuds. And you can contribute whatever you want, and that'll take you. I guess that will take you on to uh, probably GoFundMe or something like that. Is it? There, yeah. There's a link for GoFundMe in the bio on Instagram and Facebook as well. Yeah. Okay. No punctures, no. Uh, no, geez, thankfully enough, actually. Uh, Death Road. We kind of expected some, but uh, where? No, Where's that? Right. Death Road. So apparently, it's the most dangerous road in the world. It's up in Turkey. So we're it's um, it's got thirteen hairpin hairpin turns. Uh, two and a two and a half thousand meters up in the air so we're above the clouds the road is has no surface it's just stone and it is at one point it was too narrow for the micro so we're going over a sheer drop with oh the back I wheel. see a photograph it's of it now I over. could not drive that I could not yeah. yeah I sat in the back now and I'm not a person for height so it was terrifying but you know what I'm absolutely delighted I did it in the end anyway um so and uh, that's a dirt on the track there, on the side. Of, that's and there's a sheer cliff face on your yeah. right hand side. It's about yeah. about six feet wide, max. Is it? Yeah, literally. Yeah, there are points there where the micro's tire were, you know, kicking some stones over the side. So oh, it was man. Uh, it was a few, few hairy moments. No, uh, it was yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, listen. Stay, <laughs> a lot of closed eyes and brains. <laughs> stay safe now. Coming back from Croatia Maybe through Slovenia, Switzerland, France, the UK, and I guess you'll get a ferry then into Roslare, Is it? When is when are you expected will, home? So we'll try to get the two a.m. ferry on Sunday morning, uh, which lands into Roslare around seven, 
and uh, I'll drive it back to Cork then. So if anyone sees us on the side of the road, okay. feel free to get pictures or beep or shout or laugh or point or do whatever. I guarantee you, you'll break down on the road from Ross Lair to Cork. Guarantee <laughs> know, yeah, you, the that's, head gasket that's will go. The head gasket <laughs> will go somewhere around Carrick Tool. Guaranteed. <laughs> get it. Have a recovery truck on standby for me, Tony. Will you? <laughs> I will, boy. All right. Good to catch up, Jack. Cheers, my man. Take Cheers, care. Man. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086 Red FM. Okay, opening the phone lines now. We have uh, family passes to give away, and the chosen tourist location this morning is Skibbereen Heritage Centre, which has got uh, some fabulous exhibitions. Told you earlier this morning, one has to do with the Great Famine. It's just an incredible place to spend a few hours, and you'll be heading down west. So we have family passes for Skibbereen Heritage Centre now to give away. Callers 9, 10, 11, and 12, and you can take the family off. Uh, and explore West Cork while you're at it down Skibbereen Way it's beautiful actually from there then you could go to the Skibbereen Graveyard where there is a big famine memorial plot where thousands and thousands were buried during the famine anyway so get dialing for that 0818104106 before I go just a couple of quick uh, calls uh, this is to do with uh, driving testing and what have you we've had some good laughs with this during the week Diane good morning hi good morning I, wish I'd, I wish I had more time so tell me your own story uh, so I went to do my driving test five times and every time I went I had nothing but bad luck. The first time I went up and like I thought I was doing great. I was an hour early, I was on time. Turned out I was a day late. I was an hour early but on the wrong day. The second time then <clears throat> I was in such a hurry to get there, I crashed on the way up. What? So then the third time what, I know, you, yeah. you crash into <laughs> someone else? I crashed. I just was going around the corner and I just had a tip on the car. I just I couldn't go like <laughs> Um, not into someone else no 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 no. just just myself rushing up the road and um, the third time then I was after getting a new car and I was waiting for the tax book so I had to I had to cancel it I couldn't go to the third one because my tax book wasn't back so I couldn't tax the car or it wasn't in my hand and you wouldn't have got the test without a tax disc yeah yes yeah Yeah. Um, the fourth time then um, oh yeah, four times then the car wouldn't flip and start. I'd done all the inside parts and everything. I'd done, they ask you the questions and things and the inter- uh, we'd come out, we, I went through the car and you know, what's in the bonnet and where is what or whatever and we sat into the car and my car wouldn't flip and start. <laughs> and the fifth and final time I actually got well, wait, to wait. drive it. So and I wait, wait a second, Han. the fourth time it wouldn't start, so no test. The tester yeah. got out and went back into the office or whatever the case may be. What did you do? Yeah. Um, I had to call someone to get a toad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So fifth time lucky, surely be to God, no? No, fifth time, I, well, fifth time I actually got to drive it, but I failed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember I'm why you failed? Do you remember why you failed? Um, they asked me about, like, if my car had broken down, like it did the last time, but this was a different instructor, um, what I would do with hand signals if, like, people were coming behind me, you know, if I was turning left and right and stuff, and I, I, I actually just didn't know. I just didn't know that. So you failed on there a theory question, that. is it? Yeah, there was that, and I think um, I was over the line a little bit too much coming to the roundabout or something, something like that. It was about seven years ago. <laughs> That's I called driving on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so, did you, yeah, so have you gone back for a sixth? I haven't, no. No. <laughs> How long ago was the scared. fifth? How long ago was the fifth attempt where you failed? It was about seven years ago. And do you intend going a sixth time? 
I will. Oh yeah, I definitely will. I'm actually not driving anyway at the moment, so I can't afford it. <laughs> but um, like, well, yeah, when I do go back, because I, I am, I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to get all the lessons and stuff. I see it was different kind of like back then. You didn't, you didn't require the lessons and stuff like that. Yeah, I know. I know. But I know it's a lot different now. So I haven't, geez, I haven't been driving in about maybe four years, I think. <laughs> but um, I have three kids, so I definitely need a car. Like, so I, I am going to go back eventually, maybe in the next year or two. So what do you, how do you get you know, around then if you haven't like, driven in four years? Do you get driven around? Uh, a bit of that, a bit of public transport. You know, I'm in Killa, so like every, like the, the boys' school is here and, you know, yeah. No, I'm kind of, like, you know, Killa's kind of central enough where you have good public transport. And All right, like, okay. And, well, you're no huge rush, yeah. but uh, do, do stay in touch yeah. as to whenever you do the sixth time, you know? Yeah. All right, <laughs> st- stay listening. Thanks, Diane. Just finally, Elaine. Hi Neil. Your, bro- your buddy, your then boyfriend, did a bit of a MacIver on the uh, rear view mi- rear view mirror. What yeah. happened? I've t- actually two quick stories to tell you, Tommy. This was about thirty years ago. He went for his driving test. My friend's boyfriend at the time. He's now her husband. And as he was waiting in the car park for the examiner's guy to come out, his rear view mirror mirror fell off. I know it was only temporarily on anyway. And he was like, "Oh Jesus." So he was eating chewing gum, so he stuck chewing gum. He stuck it back up with chewing gum. <laughs> and she said, your man selling thought nothing of it. Tommy thought, fingers crossed, here I go. So Tommy was driving along, and next here's the mirror coming down. So Tommy caught the mirror and put it into his lap. And he's driving along, and when he needs to look down, he lifts the mirror back up and drove with one hand. And in the end, your man said, stop, 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 stop. No way, no way. We couldn't stop laughing, Neil. And then my own money, right? I went for my own test. And I went around, no, I mean, I, know, I was out on the booze the night before at my niece's dead party. So I should have been up sensible, but I wasn't. So eating chewing gum as well to keep the drink from smelling. Went around anyway. You could have and, been doing and, the test over the limit, woman. Oh, completely, completely. And he said to me, called me anyway, and I said, oh my God, I just go back and tell him all I passed. I failed because I'm disastrous with the driving. So it was my first try. I went in, did the test, went around, and we got back into the office, and he says to me, well, he said, you passed? I said, passed. He said, you passed? I said, oh God, thanks very much. And he said, filled out paperwork, and he says to me, well, that's it. And I said, oh my God, you dirty knobber. I said, my own mind, he wants a kiss? <laughs> and I thought, he said oh, that's geez. it he yeah. said that's I it yeah. he right said, he said, give us a kiss I he said give us a kiss <laughs> so here I am Neil right leaning across the table and he's backing away from me oh for god's sake like, stop what's his problem <laughs> so next I went and I gave him a kiss on the cheek and he went boy wait and he said to me oh my god he said I only said that's it Neil the ground could have swallowed me up <laughs> I swear, I came home and I told my husband and the family, they pissed themselves in the They were, you fooled yourself. And to this day, they say, well, you only really passed the test because she kissed your man. <laughs> to this day, I still get slagged over it, Neil. So they were my two stories, oh my God, They'd be so hard to beat. There could well be a prize in that for you tomorrow, I can tell you that, if nobody beats that story. <laughs> Fair play to you, Lane. I'd be mortified again if I'm on the radio. Go on. Stay listening. I might be chatting to you tomorrow. Keep those stories coming. Text 0868104106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast.